And now the official hello. Hello, Chris Ryan. Hello, officially. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Everything. You distinguished looking motherfucker. Am I distinguished? What's going on with the the goatee, the whole deal? Yeah, it comes and goes. I don't know. What have you been up to, man? I've been following your Instagram chronicles. You, have you? you? Yeah, you're traveling the world in a van. What are you doing? Vanthropology, <laughs> I call it. It's the Vanthropology Tour. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, man. It's like, uh, you know, you and I have probably spoken about in my 20s, I backpacked all over the world and mm-hmm. hitchhiked to Alaska a couple times and, you know, did all these adventures. A sprinter van that you have a bed in and a cooler and a freezer, and that's kind of like a backpack for an older, slightly richer dude. You know, that's, <laughs> right. that's how I look at it. Because you have everything you need with you. Yeah. Which is a feeling I love. I love just being able to say, you know what? I'm tired. I'm going to pull over and sleep right here. And before I do, I'm going to have a couple of beers and listen to some music. And, you know, it's like everything mm-hmm. I need is right here. Right. Can you, what is the deal with pulling over in a, a sprinter van and drinking? Are there a lot, you know, like, you're not even allowed to be drunk in the back seat of your own car. You yeah, I believe a, a, if you have a, a bed, it's considered a domicile. Oh. That's what I've been told. I'm not a legal expert. But huh. my understanding is that uh, the front two seats are considered the vehicle, but beyond that, in the back where you have the bed and the, all the stuff, mm. that's considered your house. So oh. a warrant to search is is the same as a, someone coming into your house. Oh. Yeah. Because I, I know a dude who got in trouble because he was drunk in the back seat of his car because he knew he was drunk. And so he's like, I'm not fucking driving. I'm just going to sleep it off. And he laid down in the back seat of his car and the cops knocked on the door. And he opened up the door and he said, yeah, I'm drunk and I'm sleeping off. And they arrested him. That's bullshit. Yeah. Well, you know, <sighs> some cops... They feel like they have to make a certain number of arrests. You know, some places have quotas. Yeah, yeah. which is—I've always thought that was so strange. Like, what happens if no one commits crimes? What do they do about the quotas? Do they just make up crimes? And how do they fill those prisons right. that are you know dependent upon ninety-eight percent occupancy rate? Yeah, they yeah. just assume that there's going to be a certain amount of people that fuck up. Like, what happens if something happens? Some—I mean, I don't know what it would be other than a mass consumption of mushrooms across the oh, with people entire just population. Stop breaking yeah. laws? Yeah, people just stop. They'll just pass laws. I mean, every one of us breaks several laws every day, right? Like there are laws we don't even know exist that we're breaking. Like what kind of laws do you think? Oh, God, I, don't, I read an article about this years ago. Um, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to, to give you examples right now, but I'm sure there are financial laws. I and mean, we're all cheating on our taxes. <laughs> not me. Not me. Not me. But, but everyone I know except for Joe. I, well, I handle my, <laughs> hand mine off to accountants. I yeah. Don't, I don't handle that at all. But, I mean, cutting corners. You know, mm-hmm. we're all cutting corners. I, I ran two yellow lights on my way here, I'm sure. <gasps> I probably, you know, it's four miles per hour over the speed limit. Mm, so that's how they'd get you. Yeah. I mean, well, that what would... about autonomous vehicles? Yeah. Once that kicks into gear, that's going to be real interesting when no yeah. one's ever breaking the speed limit. What do they do? What is this, Jamie? Six laws you broke there you without go. realizing it? Jamie, Cracked. you're the best, man. Cracked.com always has great articles like this. So what does it say? What do we got here? Connecting to unsecure Wi-Fi networks. That's that's the law? What? What? There you go. So if you go to Starbucks and it's an unsecure or the airport, that's – There you go. Those are open for that purpose. But like if someone – your neighbor leaves theirs unopened, I think that's what it's saying right here. Oh, Oh, I I don't do that. Wi-Fi squatting. 
And what about every time you click on one of you update some software and you click agree? I have read and agree to this. Right. You didn't read that shit. Well, Nobody that reads it. One of the things that Snowden talked about yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah about the terms and conditions right. that you you accept. And who that, knows what's in there yeah. that then you're not complying with. Well, you know? you'd have to have a lawyer go over every piece of it, and then a lot of it is open to interpretation, and they right. can change it at a moment's notice. Right. One of the things that you see in terms and conditions is they have the ability to change it without notice, which is like what, you know. <laughs> Get that. Sam Harris had a great podcast with uh, this guy who was an expert in data collection. He was talking about what's actually happening now is that we have, there's a commodity, and that commodity is data. And we didn't know it was a commodity. Right. And then all of a sudden, these companies like Facebook and Google made billions and billions of dollars off of this commodity that we didn't even know we were giving up. Yeah. And we didn't know that they had it. We didn't know it was valuable. And then, you know, this And there's is no way their, to protect it. And that's their business model. Their business model is – and then also their business model is tricking you into clicking on things by getting you outraged. So they're hmm. consistently bringing up things, whether it's, you know, Trump or abortion or whatever it is that, like, gets you riled up, that outrage – Algorithm right. is going to find your little soft spot. Yeah. Oh god! I saw it. you just posted something on that recently on yeah. Twitter. Uh, Facebook thing. Yeah. yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It was an argument that Facebook is the the what it is is an an, an algorithm that's designed to find outrage. It's not right. free speech. Right. And it's just an out outrage accelerometer or something. Right. <laughs> well, you think about even you know that goes back to William Randolph Hearst. You know, mm -hmm. saying like you know I'll I'll give you the war, you know. I'll you give me the war. I'll sell the papers and and get the public behind it because mm -hmm. it's good business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting world, isn't it? Was it that, is. Were you talking about Tristan Harris? Was that the guy on Sam Harris's podcast, the ethicist? I, I, do, I do not know. I don't. I don't remember. I name. heard him on Sam Harris's podcast. Uh, he was a. I think he has a PhD in computer science and philosophy, and mm -hmm. he worked at Google as their like in house ethicist and then he quit because it's like there's no such job don't be evil <laughs> exactly <laughs> they stopped having that don't be evil yeah. doesn't exist anymore. it doesn't exist how exactly. crazy is that when you have that and you ah, go, ah, let's get rid of that there you can be evil <laughs> <laughs> what a weird thing to both have and then weirder still to remove yeah yeah i want to get a marriage contract that has that clause in it where you can update it without notification Mm, you know, yeah. just get that in there. Have your lawyer slip that into the prenup. Yeah, at any moment, you could bail. It's fine. <laughs> or bail or just change yeah. the terms, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a strange world, Joe. That's why I like being in my van. Keep things simple. Well, humans are strange creatures, you know, and we vary so widely that, you, you know, trying to make any sense of putting 300 million of us together on an island, essentially. Yeah. Like, good luck with that. Uh, and we vary not only individually, but I think we vary uh, – we become different creatures in different conditions. Sure. So people sometimes will ask me, like, what's your – you know, what is human nature? What's your opinion, you know, based on these books? And I say it's like asking what's the natural state of H2O? <laughs> right. Is right? it boiling? Is it ice? Yeah, exactly. What right. are the, what's the right. pressure? What's the altitude? Yeah. Don't and, you feel like you're different people with different people as well? Yeah. Yeah. I had a girlfriend um, 
a Spanish. She was she, her mother was French. Her father's Catalan. She was raised in Spain and then lived in Miami uh, when she was thirteen to fifteen or something. So she spoke English really well, Spanish, French, and Catalan perfectly. Right, and we were living in San Francisco. And I was high, or I was smoking a joint. She was across the room talking to her mom on the phone in French. And then her mom put her dad on the phone, so she switched to Catalan. And, and I was just high enough that I noticed, like, wow, that's not Peggy talking two different languages. And then three, because she would, like, put her hand on the phone and say, oh, my mom said, no, no, no. So English, French, Catalan. It's not Peggy speaking three languages. Those are three different Peggy's. She's different. Her facial tics and her movements and her body position changed depending on the language she was speaking, right? And at the time, I was in grad school, and um, I thought, this is like multiple personality disorder. So I started researching multiple personality, and I, I sort of came up with this idea that language, in her case, because she learned them all when she was very young, reconfigures the brain in such a way that she actually has different identities in those languages. Mm. And next time we were fucking, I started talking to her in Spanish and she freaked out. She, she mad at you? Yes, yeah, she like like I was I was a stranger suddenly. Whoa. Yeah. I, I just said I you know just said like you're beautiful or something. She's like, "Ah, get away. Estás muy guapa. I'm like, "Get away from me, you creep." Like, cuz our whole relationship had been in English. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. So anyway, so I looked into multiple personality <laughs> disorder. <laughs> the story has everything. Uh, and I don't know if you, you've checked that out. You remember yeah. Stanley Krippner, my buddy who mm -hmm. came down sure. and did the podcast yeah. with you? Yeah. He, he had done a bunch of research on that. And um, there was a movie called Sybil. Yeah, I remember that. He was the consultant for that movie. Uh, he was also a consultant for uh, Rosemary's Baby. Remember that? The mm, the Possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, That's a Polanski movie. I think so, yeah. Yeah, one of the early ones. Yeah. Um, people have, with multiple personality disorder, uh, the research is bizarre. It, it seems to indicate that people have different physiological states in the different personalities. So... You could have a different baseline heart rate, blood pressure, uh, you know, these sort of – Different baseline heart rate. Yeah, in the different – even – now, this is – I don't know how reliable this is, but I even read that some people have different uh, ocular pressure so that one personality needs reading glasses <laughs> and another doesn't. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. How much is psychosomatic? Like, really? Like, how, how much – how much of who you are and how you how your body works is dependent upon the way your brain is uh, catching yeah. things. Right. Culture, language, yeah. personal experience. I mean, it's all your mood, how much you slept the mm -hmm. night before, you know, all these things uh, tie into. Identity is something we take for granted, but it's, yeah. if you start to look at it, it's like – it's like gravity. You know, gravity, we sort of included in our calculations, but nobody has any idea what's happening. Right. How does right. that work? Like, well, oh, Neil two deGrasse things Tyson are attracted. got real touchy about it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I brought it up, he, I think he's, 
We had a weird conversation, and I think part of the weird conversation was the first conversation that he's had publicly since he's been accused of, you know, right. the, the, the but he came back from sexual that. misconduct. Did yeah, well, he was, you know, they found him innocent according to whatever internal right. um, investigation they had, uh, you know, when they were doing his television show, or right? The, you know, the planetarium, but um, it's still, even if, even if he's proven innocent, you you know, you've got the weight of who knows how many people that think you're a creep now. Right. You know, and he's carrying that around because he was always thought of as being this jovial, really yeah. sweet, nice guy. So he's a little tense anyway. That's why I start out admitting I'm a creep. <laughs> it's good. It's Ladies and gentlemen, I am a fucking creep. You can't Let's shame take it Charlie from there. Sheen. <laughs> exactly. You cannot shame Charlie Sheen. Um, <laughs> but we had this conversation about gravity and it was weird. It, it was like I was arguing with him, but I wasn't arguing. I was like, I was like, what, what is causing you? Like, like what causes it? And he's like, we know. And like he went into this whole thing. We know what it is. We know how to measure it. We can, that's good enough for me. Yeah. It was, it was a very tense conversation. That's interesting. Yeah. It was, Cause it is a faith based thing there. You know, like he, he's right. They know how to measure it, mm -hmm. but we also know how to measure placebo. Right. And we don't know how the fuck that works. We know that hypnosis, people can have open heart surgery under hypnosis or have limbs amputated or all sorts of amazing things with no anesthesia whatsoever. Has that really been done? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever been hypnotized? Yeah. But I, I don't have high hypnotic ability. Mm. That differs. Uh, it's another thing that differs among people. And Stanley actually has a really interesting theory uh, along those lines, which is that in uh, prehistoric populations, hypnotic ability would be um, uh, adaptive because a lot of the healing rituals were keying into placebo response. Uh, so if we have a certain ritual, if you're susceptible to, you know, you believe in that, like voodoo, uh, there's a, mm. you know, voodoo death. People die when yeah. their, a spell is cast or a curse because yeah. they believe it. If you don't believe it, it doesn't happen. So it happens uh, the opposite direction as well with healing. So his, his idea is that that would have been a very adaptive um, characteristic in prehistoric societies, whereas in contemporary societies, it's maladaptive mm. because you're more susceptible to advertising or you're easier uh, to manipulate. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, when I was in grad school, I had some professors who worked with hypnosis and I studied it a bit, uh, along the same, around the same time I was looking at multiple personality disorder. Cause I was real interested in this question of how the brain and the body interact, mm -hmm. how much of, you know, there's all this research showing that people with the same um, condition in, in hospitals, exactly the same age, same prognosis and all that. They heal significantly faster if their hospital window looks out on trees as opposed to looks out at another building. Mm, something like that. Just looking yeah. at something like nature yeah. keys the body into to some sort of energy that, that helps it to heal. Completely makes sense. I've met people with multiple personalities. Well, Roseanne. Roseanne's got – doesn't she? Make sure that's true. Um, I know another one that's a weird one is the football player Herschel Walker. I think he had trauma-induced multiple personality disorders. Wow. Does she? There's the articles that says like Bill, Bill Maher reminds us she does, and then Roseanne says she doesn't. So, Yeah, I think And then the she 2001 does. says seven, having seven personalities is tough, her saying it. so. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, here's the thing about Roseanne. I mean, I'm saying this for the 10th time, I guess. 
she was hit by a car when she was 15 and she was put in a mental institute for nine months afterwards. She had severe brain damage and she lost her ability to do mathematics and like really scrambled her brain. And that is probably the birth of the Roseanne that we know, the comedian. And, um, that's also the case with Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison was also uh, like a pretty normal kid. And then he was hit by a car and, mm. you know, pretty severe brain damage as well. And, um, brain damage for especially um apparently it has a, it especially has an impact on um your ability to be uh rational and impulsive behavior it, like people with brain damage a lot of times get very impulsive it's yeah. been very so widely yeah. you know it's um, what what happens to you dependent upon like what kind of trauma where the trauma is what part of your brain but um, yeah. when when they said it about Herschel Walker, I was always confused. I wonder if it was from football, like football trauma, or was it personal trauma, like you know, abuse. Yeah, people with like, are diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, if I remember correctly, almost always were severely abused as mm. kids. You know, and in fact, the the rationale is that they develop the uh, alternate personalities as a way of escaping a reality that's intolerable. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, people do weird things with horrible memories. You know, they bury them to the point where they don't even really have access to them anymore. Yeah. Sexual abuse and some, yeah. some traumatic events when you're young. Yeah. But the fucking human brain and the way it adapts and molds to things is so bizarre. Yeah. There's a there's an anecdote that is in this book, Civilized to Death. Notice that segue. Ooh, good segue yeah, to the book. Um, Pull that bitch over here. Yeah. It's uh, by the way, the the art is done by a guy who listens to my podcast. Oh. It's really, it looks like but the art by a guy who listens to your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> a cheeseburger, a chimp wearing a cheeseburger with a, a nice suit on. Yeah, he's got an iPhone. Um, uh, oh yeah, the story. So uh, there's a species of grasshopper in North Africa that. Uh, you know, they hang out, they're grasshoppers, they, they're dispersed, they eat grass, they chill, right? Rains come, the grasslands expand, grasshopper population increases, then the rains stop, the grasslands contract to the point where the, the density of the grasshoppers triggers a dormant gene. So there's an epigenetic uh, event in these grasshoppers, and they start to transform and not over generations, individuals, front legs get shorter, back legs get longer, thorax changes, shape of the head changes, coloring changes, and behavior changes from being these chilled out, solitary, relaxed grasshoppers. They start attacking each other. They become cannibalistic. Whoa. And they swarm. Locusts. Locusts. Exactly. Yeah. They become locusts. Yeah. So this species of grasshopper and locust is the same species. Yeah. It's the same DNA. It's just responding to different conditions. So, you know, we're talking about the brain and you know who you are and what identity is and all that. And this, I was reminded of this when you said, uh, you know, people are so different and the H2O thing. Yeah. We're not only different as individuals in the same context, we change completely given the context we're in. Yeah. So the focus of this book is the hunter gatherers were essentially a different sort of animal. They were essentially, you know, uh, the parallel is with the grasshoppers, and now we're swarming. Yeah. Now we're a different kind of animal, even though our DNA is the same. Well, that completely makes sense. I mean, people that live in small towns are so different than people yeah. that live in cities. Yeah. It's so rare yeah. that you find someone who has a small town sensibility in Manhattan. 
Yeah, they get chewed up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. It's yeah. um that's the the, the, the locust thing's amazing. Have you ever written or read rather rather the accounts of um the settlers uh in the you know, the pioneer days making their way across the country and uh, dealing with these swarms of locusts and really not having any idea what to do with them or how to handle it? Eat them. Yeah, yeah, you can. The sure. Native Americans ate them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably a real good move, right? Yeah. That's one of the things that people think is uh, probably uh, an excellent solution to uh, some of the issues that people have with meat, because uh, a lot of people don't have any problem killing bugs, but they wouldn't want to kill a lamb. Right. You know, but you can have cricket protein. It's really... we call it micro agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Cricket yeah. protein is apparently like very it's healthy. Good. I've eaten crickets. Yeah, I have too. In Thailand. I've had them in Mexico. Oh yeah, in Mexico. They they had them fried. And we were staying at a resort in uh, um, where was it? Um, Punta Mita. Yeah, I think it was down there, uh, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, and uh, they had a bowl in the resort. Like when we walked into the hotel room, we're like, okay. like mints. Yeah, they had like sliced <laughs> mangoes, and then they had fucking crickets. And I was yeah. like, all right, I'll try that. I hosted Fear Factor. There's a restaurant here in L.A. that I was at just a couple of weeks ago that has all sorts of crickets and grasshoppers. Really? What's yeah. it called? Uh, it's a Mexican place. They specialize in mole. Ah. Uh, I don't remember what a it's A good called. Mexican place? It's really good. Isn't it weird yeah. that like uh, there's a lot of great Mexican food in L.A., but it's like – you know, like your basic burrito joints and taco jo- It's not like gourmet Mexican food. There's very yeah. few gourmet Mexican places. Oh, this place is. Is that it right there? Yeah, that's it. That's why right. I couldn't Damn, remember Jamie? the name. Jamie. Guela Guetza. Guela Top it. Is that how you say it? Have you been yeah. there? No, I just, I know the word. It's like a, I don't know if it means party, but it's a celebration down in like, mm. like Oaxaca. Yeah. Damn. Oaxaca. Serving up insects. Yeah, check it out. It's yeah. a good place. I, I really the mole is fantastic. Where is that at? What part of LA? On Olympic. 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 Oh, okay, deep yeah. in the heart of Texas. Yeah. Bam. Beautiful. Yeah. Mole. Uh, I love mole. And and let's face it, shrimp, lobster. That's just bugs. Mm-hmm. Those are just big sea bugs. Well, we found that out on Fear Factor because people that are allergic to sh- shellfish are also allergic to roaches. Ah. Yeah, we found that out the hard way. <laughs> the lawsuit. No, no. <laughs> we've, the dude. Uh, was allergic to shellfish, and he had to eat roaches for this thing. And you know, they wound up having to give him an, an adrenaline shot. Oh, he was, yeah, uh, EpiPen. Yeah. yeah, he was uh, seizing up a little bit. That's you know, not your, good. Your windpipe starts constricting. Yeah, you know. I'm not allergic to anything, as far as I know. Congratulations! I'm very happy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's a bummer, man. Allergies are a bummer, especially freaking peanuts. I've I've heard peanut allergies are so bad that people will ask you to not eat peanuts on a plane yeah. with someone who has a peanut allergy. Like some people's peanut allergy is so severe, yeah. that even like the dust of you chewing peanuts on a plane next to them could get them sick. And and it's interesting to think about the state of consciousness and how that affects allergies because apparently, and again, I'm always cautious about saying yeah. shit on the show because sure. there's so many people listening. So caveat, it's been a long time since I read the research, but if I remember correctly, uh, under hypnosis – a lot of people with allergies no longer. In fact, I remember the research. Yeah, there was a. It was a setup where the person could see. So, like you and I are talking across the table, and there's a mirror behind me, and in the mirror, in your peripheral vision, you see uh, roses, and you're allergic to roses. You'll have a reaction, Ooh. even though they're plastic roses. 
Oh. So it sort of enters the consciousness and triggers the response subconsciously. Hmm. Yeah, if, if I think that's how it was. And then with people under hypnosis, like uh, Andrew Weil wrote about this, uh, cat allergies. He was tripping. He was on MDMA, I think, and he was playing with a cat and had no reaction to it. Wow. Yeah. Look at this. Self-hypnosis squelches allergies. Picturing I need a Jamie slope. in my life. You do. Damn. Picturing ski slopes reduces hay fever symptoms by a third. Look at that. Picturing ski slopes. How weird. <laughs> what a weird. Ah, like, oh, I'm skiing. Ah. Well, because you're picturing a place where there's no mm. pollen. Right. Right? It's, right. You could probably picture the surface of Mars, too. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got a needle, you know, like you get a shot and the doctor's about to give you the shot and you start like tensing up, like you feel this, like re- the anticipation it makes yeah. it like your, your heart starts quickening and you get like really weirded out by it. But then you get the shot and you're like, oh, that wasn't shit. Like, why was I freaking out like that? But it's this the psychosomatic aspect of it. I think that's what life is, basically, a lot, a in, a nutshell, yeah, in a nutshell. It's an analogy. Like, we're always worried about things. We spend so much time worrying about things, most of which never occur. Yeah. You know? And even the ones that do occur, it's like, wow, whatever. Like yeah. death. You know, what is – I'm not worried about death. Dying – Maybe if it takes too long, mm-hmm. but if it's if it takes like an hour or a day to die, that's a tiny fraction of your life. Who gives a shit? You're not a guy that really spends a lot of time working on fitness or health or. <laughs> any, any of those. That's a nice way to put it. Well, you you enjoyed that article. <laughs> Lazy that I wrote fuck back in the day. is what, I, I is what you're say trying that, to say. Man. I love you, but uh, <laughs> I take I, it as a compliment. <laughs> you, enjoyed... I got better things to do than work out, Joe. <laughs> I get it. Um, you enjoyed that article that I wrote a long time I ago. I did. About the, the, the sand. Yeah, human body is like a sand castle. Yeah, like, yeah. You can make it beautiful, but it's not going to last. Yeah. It's, you, and you know that going in. You know that way. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I've got this idea for a book, if I keep writing books, uh, which is sort of a self-help book, but it's a parody of self-help books. And so it'll be, it'll be calling attention to the way so much of what we do to try to be healthy is actually counterproductive. Because we stress, mm, especially yeah. Americans. Everything's sure, work. Sure, you know, everything yeah. turns into work. And Americans are very suspicious of pleasure. We're taught to uh, that pleasure is, uh, you know, evil and dangerous and all this. Mm-hmm. I've never bought that line of reasoning. I've always felt like what feels good generally is good. <laughs> There's a reason it feels good, you know. Yeah. Now, that can get corrupted by advertising and false messaging from a sick society uh, that tells you, you know, sit on the sofa and drink beer and eat bags of chips all day. But uh, if you get beyond that and you can actually hear the voice of your body, I think if your body is telling you to, you know, stay in bed because it's a rainy, cold day. Now, I know this is totally against your perspective on life where you're like, you got to tame the inner bitch. You got to get out of bed. You got to work out. It doesn't matter. I'm like, no, man, I'm staying in bed. <laughs> like you, you go do what you need to do. I used to climb mountains with this friend of mine in Spain and he was like you, he was a fucking Billy goat. He'd like go up the, and I'd go with him till I got to a nice spot with a nice view. I'd be down. like, dude, I'll be here when you come down. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a nap. Got a bottle of wine and some cheese. Mm. I appreciate that, too. I, yeah. I'm not married to my perspective, but uh, I think I have um, a very peculiar biology that demands a certain amount of exertion. Yeah. Me, sure. personally. And I have friends like that. I mean, I, you know, I have lots of friends like, man, I, if I don't run every day, I feel like shit. 
I'm like running's very addictive though. I feel fine. Yeah, you get you get used to the, there's a high that you get from running that's really interesting. And any um, long term cardiovascular exercise, you get this. It's like we did, you know, last last October we did the sober October thing where we had a, this crazy fitness challenge. So all of us were doing cardio like five hours a day, like really crazy amounts of cardio. And one of the things that Tom Segura and I both agreed on is like the the amount of internal chatter dissipates to zero mm. like you have no anxiety it goes mm. i didn't realize i had any anxiety until that happened and then i was like god it goes to zero it goes to nothing like when you do like five hours on a, a treadmill or you just running just run for five, when you when it's done man there's this like peace of mind that comes with that this uh release of endorphins that's incredibly addictive because that feeling is so pleasing so it's not that it doesn't it doesn't feel good to get out of bed and then to just push when you don't want to, but the end result feels amazing. It does feel so really I, good. I wonder if there's any research uh, looking into whether that effect happens universally. Because mm. I've worked out, I've run. There were times <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I never, I've never, never gotten got a runner's high. Never. No. I get my teeth hurt, my <laughs> knees hurt, my back hurts. I feel my brain, you know, bouncing around in my skull. You know, I'm half a mile into it, and I'm like, "Fuck this! This you doesn't feel in, good." You have to get in shape first. That's a big oh, part of it. It's man. not. It's not that simple. It's like for me, uh, I never really got into running. Um, but I like the first time I really did any serious running. I, my my friend Cam Haynes had a five k, which is what is that three miles something like that something like that yeah. Um, and I didn't run at all in preparation for it. And when I ran the the five k, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is hard. <laughs> like I didn't have and there was no good feeling at all. Yeah, you know, it's running on concrete and shit. And right in Vegas, it's gross. Oh, in Vegas, You're just smelling sin in the air, and. Uh, but when it was over, I was like, okay, obviously, uh, I'm not, I'm in good shape, but not in good running shape at mm. all. So I should probably get in shape for this. So then I started running. And then when I got into running, and particularly running hills, then I started feeling it once I kind of got in that kind of shape. And then when the, you know, when the, the workouts are over, like I, I run all the time now. And when it's over, I just have this. Ah, yeah, this, you and Marshall are yeah. doing your thing. It's great. Yeah, I fucking love, and he loves it too. There's a crazy bonding experience with that dog, you know, yeah. when because he loves it. You know, I got my dad a golden retriever. They're the best dogs. Years ago, when my dad was like, you know, I, maybe it's genetic because he was pretty lazy. He'd come home from work <laughs> and he'd you know sit in front of the TV and drink vodka and get upset about the news and and uh my mother didn't like dogs but i my sister and i convinced her that dad needs a dog because dad will get this dog and he'll go for walks because the dog needs to walk and so we got him a golden retriever he named it stoli <laughs> bad sign right there and then uh and then he never went for walks. Stoli just sat next to him and got fat. <laughs> oh poor stoli i know i yeah. know well it's common doesn't always work no um, yeah, it helps me get going because I know that he needs exercise. Yeah. It does. But it helps me too. And it's fun. Like, I talk to him when we run, you know? Like, as we're running, you know, I, I have a little conversations with him. Yeah. Cool. It's fun. And he's, he's not judging you, right? 
Pfft, really? Give a fuck. I could be fat. <laughs> I could covered in shit. He wouldn't give. He'd probably prefer that. <laughs> <He'd> <laughs> Make you more interesting. Yeah, it's but the the runner's high is a real thing. But you have to achieve some level of fitness before I think it kicks in. Yeah, I, I closest I've come to that is the sex high. Mm. You know, post. Yeah, no during. Post-coital? You know, oh, it's okay. like. During. Uh, maybe there's like a workout element to that. Well, uh, sex when you're really aroused and you're really attracted to the person, like in the middle of the act of it, it's like you're on a drug. Yeah. It can be like this incredible elevation where you, you're you high, basically. You're high in this sure. crazy Endorphins. aroused yeah. state. Yeah. yeah. And you have that that uh, hyper focus mm-hmm. that you're talking about, yeah. you know, removing anxiety. You're not thinking about... Yeah. Uh, you know, anything other than where you are. It's one of those uh, beautiful moments. I had a guy in my podcast recently who's like a legend in the the world of uh, like high risk stuff. He's a base jumper and he flies those wingsuits. What's his name? Oh, fuck. What is his name? He lives in, in Bozeman, Montana. Andy Super- Stump? No. That's crazy because my friend Andy Stump lives in Montana well, too. I'm sure he knows and him. He's the, he holds the world record ben, for that wingsuit shit. Ben Stewart, could it be? I, man, I don't remember. I'm sure Andy knows him. Yeah, for he sure. He lives in Bozeman. And this guy's 44. He's been doing it a long time. And it's about how old Andy is. Yeah. Andy's probably a little. They younger They probably fly than that. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really nice guy. But it was interesting, like how you know here's this guy who's doing this super high risk adrenaline uh, stuff. And like he just had done this thing where he's paragliding with another dude on the Brooks Range in Alaska. And like just the two of them, and they land and camp. Oh my God. You know, nowhere, bears everywhere, like forget it. And then they'd get up the next morning, jump off the mountain, and keep going. It's (laughs) like, fuck. But this guy was so calm. He was just like, it was like talking to Buddha or something. He Mm. was just like so centered and relaxed and focused it was, it was beautiful we had a really enjoyable conversation from my perspective anyway because um, i tend to be kind of scattered and you know tangentially mm-hmm. speaking right, right, and right so i'm right. going all over the place whereas he was just like it was just really centered and, and balanced it was I nice guess you have to have laser focus if you're gonna fuck around with that kind of stuff that's it you don't want to is that the Jeff? Yeah, man? Jeff Shapiro. That's him. Is. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. He looks like yeah, Buddha. and that's his uh, his Falcon. He, he's oh, Jesus. got this Falcon as well. Right when I was starting to love him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fucking Falcon. He's all into into flight, man. He's yeah, that's I guess his thing. so. Yeah, he's yeah. really he's a cool dude. Those wingsuits, man. I mean, talk about risk versus reward. Fuck. He told his story. He was like. He said, yeah, you know, I've had the experience a few times of, you know, standing on this toes over the cliff 3,000 feet up or whatever and fist bump with your buddy. And he goes and says, see you, you know, see you down there. He goes. And then you hear it. Bang. Yeah. He's gone. Like I've carried dudes' bodies out of the woods, you know. Yeah. I've done that too many times. He was talking about. You know, these different approaches and how the young guys tend to be more, ah, fuck it, man. I'm, they think they're indestructible. And yeah. at his age, he's seen enough. He's carried enough bodies. He's lost enough friends that he's not thinking that way anymore, you know. And he yeah. doesn't want to be around guys who are because right. he doesn't want to deal with the trauma, you know. Well, it's all the, it's, there's a competitive aspect to it, too. Like, come on, don't be a pussy. Yeah. You know, like that stuff can get you killed, too, because then it's just like sort of. 
hijacks your own way of interacting with whatever the fuck this danger is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, peer pressure. Yeah, that's fuck. real. Yeah. I start off, I'm a pussy. I'm a creep. I'm a pussy. <laughs> you know, like, you got no leverage. Peer I'm, pressure. I'm lazy. You know what fascinates me, man? Mob mentality. A yeah. mob mentality like, uh, like, you know, if there's like a riot, that, like physical violence, yeah. but in, in a way that you would never, like a lot of people who would never think about hitting someone when people are hitting people all over the place. You'll just dive in. Like people will dive in and kick people and punch people. Hmm. It's very weird. Like bar fights, you see? Mm -hmm. I've, I've yeah. never seen one in real life. I've seen, oh, I've seen a bunch of them. Hey, does yeah. that happen? People are just randomly oh, yeah. punching each other? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. People just punch people. Yeah. I've seen, some, I've seen some pretty chaotic brawls. It's, uh, it's, but there's a strange feeling in the air. It's almost like a smell. You know, like, you, Jamie, you're nodding. Yeah, I was in a, at a riot. And that earlier the day, in the day, we like we were like the hornet's nest is going to explode tonight. We kind of felt it. What was hmm. the premise was, uh, was after the, the Ohio State Michigan game, in like two thousand two? Big Ohio State Michigan game. I know you don't really understand the football thing of it, but there, it's a huge day, big event. Uh, we won in a very close game, undefeated season for Ohio State, so they're headed to national championship. This then meant uh, sofas on fire in the street for like the next couple of hours, and then shortly as the night exploded. Uh, there was a couple bonfires in the middle of a street. We went, we heard, saw that on the news, so we went close to see it because we were a couple blocks away. As we got close, we heard the knee knocker bullets getting fired out, so everybody scattered. Were those rubber bullets? Yeah, from like, so we, everyone went from one street on campus to like three other streets. Then it started up again. The street I was on, seven cars got flipped over, I think, <laughs> and lit on fire. So people started trying to like move their car so they didn't lose it because they're college uh, kids, don't have right. any money, whatever. A lot of those people got caught on videos, expelled from school, whatever. But at the end of that street, I was we were on it. Uh, we saw all the riot police, the SWAT team, like lining up. They started firing out tear gas everywhere. A tear gas canister ended up on the porch of the house we were in, like exploded in the house almost. So, like we were all coughing and had to get the fuck out of there. Wow. Lasted for a couple of hours. Like no one died, anything like that. There wasn't a lot of violence, but just twelve to fifteen cars got fucked up. The thing mm. is, someone could have died. That's yeah, what's yeah. really that's. What's really crazy about those chaotic moments of, of violence is that when, when something's in the air like that and you see like a big brawl going on, it's like everything seems – it seems like civilization's flimsy, hmm. like for that brief moment. I think there's a natural thing that kicks in with people that sort of uh, allows them to act in war and allows them to act like when the tribe is invaded. Like when, you know, when a, a, a neighboring army invades your village, there's some thing that kicks in where you like recognize this is violence and you just look to swing on anybody that's around you. And you see it in these these brawls when you see uh, some sort of a riot. Like you see these people and you're like, I guarantee you that guy's never punched anybody before in his life. And he's running over trying to punch people and everybody's punching everybody. And people are swinging and, you know, you see it in these fucking, when, when you, whenever you see like a, uh, uh, like an Antifa versus Proud Boys type thing. You know what I mean? Like these left versus right, Trump supporters versus Bernie bros. And mm. you see chaos. You're talking about online or, or in, online? In, in I haven't street. seen those in, in person. But right. when you see these 
moments tribal. where these yeah. tribal moments where it feels like it could break out into violence at any time yeah. is a is a smell in the air it's like it changes the atmosphere of the air and you feel like you got to protect yourself like anything can happen at any moment from people that you would never think of as being violent like you would ne- you would yeah. you would never assume that these folks would be violent to you. They don't look scary. They're not scary looking people, but everybody just seems to get out. It's like a thing happens, like the locust. Right. Like a little trigger right. happens with people. Dormant yeah. behavior patterns. Yeah. 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 I've yeah. often wondered about what that is because I've been around it a bunch of times. And uh, well, I was around it once big time in high school. When I, was in high, <laughs> when I was in high school, there was a kid who lived in this really nice house and he'd moved into the neighborhood for the first time, and he decided he was going to have a party to meet meet a bunch of people, make friends. And people started robbing his house, and yeah. and a, a brawl broke out. I'll never forget it. And I was there. I was there at the event horizon of the brawl. I was there at the moment it happened. A girl did something to a guy. <clears throat> I can't remember what she did. I can't remember if she threw a drink at his face or if she hit him. I don't remember, but I remember him hitting her because I remember him. I remember. Him pulling his hand back, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to punch her in the face. And boom, he punched her right. I mean, like, he knew how to punch, too. It was like a real punch to the face. The girl goes unconscious, and then, you know, she falls back, and then chaos. I mean, people diving on top of people, piles of people out in the yard. Everybody's fighting everybody. You're just ducking. It's like a movie. And then, and, and almost everyone has no idea what they're even fighting about. No, I saw the moment it happened. I was there. God, I wish I could remember. Memory is so sucky. You know, it really is. I have like yeah. this blurry yeah. slide, but I do remember yeah. that fist hitting her face. Because I remember he went like this. I was like, oh, no, he knows how to punch. And he went, bang! He just cracked her in the face. And she just, like, her head went back, and she went out cold. And mm. I think somebody caught her. I think someone caught her as she was going down. And then it was just melee. And I, but I remember the feeling in the air because that was the first time I think I'd ever been around anything like that. Mm. I was like, "Whoa!" It's piles of kids fighting on the you know all and were you fighting? Team. No, I was running away from everybody. I was like, "I gotta get the fuck out of here." Yeah, like, I mean, I always did martial arts, but I was very, very rarely involved in any extracurricular altercations. Um, yeah. So I just got the fuck out of there. And the other time was when I was a security guard for uh, Great Woods. Great Woods is a place in Mansfield, Massachusetts. It was like this concert venue. And uh, Neil Young was playing, of all people. And there was a there's a lawn area. It's I've like, slept in his bed. Have you really? <laughs> Yo, I can't tell that story. Shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, never mind. <clears throat> and I haven't. Erase, erase I bad haven't. memory. <laughs> so it's an amphitheater. So there's this, like, this covered uh, seated area. Yeah. And then behind the covered seated area is this gigantic lawn area. Yeah. And... I don't remember if it was cold out. I remember what the deal was. But people started lighting fires on the lawn, like little bonfires. And then it's just – then chaos broke out. We started trying – the security people started trying to put out the fires and tell people to stop. And then people started hitting people and just crazy. And I, I always kept a hoodie with me because, I, you know, I was getting like $9 an hour or something like that. Right. I'm not going to get shot for $9 an hour or beat up. <laughs> Fuck yeah. this. So as soon as shit went crazy, I put my zip up. I put my hoodie on. I'm like, I quit. I quit the job. Nice. <laughs> and as I, was, as I was leaving, <laughs> as I was quitting, I was watching people just beat the fuck out of people. And I was like dodging my way <laughs> through this thing. I'm like, get out of here with this stupid fucking job. Yeah. You got to know when to leave, man. But it was a feeling. It was like, oh, there's that fucking smell in the air. Like anything can happen at any moment now. All right. Yeah, I mean, you think about these dudes who you know come back from war with PTSD. 
you know, again, it's this consciousness, context-dependent behavior mm-hmm. where you know they they do things in that situation, and then they come back to the normal world. It's like coming out of a dream, and it's hard to believe you did that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to believe that was you. And how do you integrate that into your life with your wife and your kids and mom and dad and the neighbors it's yeah i mean yeah those poor guys they're dealing with some real heavy shit there and no one tells you how to do that either no it's no one knows just, how to do it right yeah, yeah. And, and no one gives a shit right like once they get there you know get you to go do what they want to do then you know it's hard to even get you know it's what a two-year wait for uh any sort of psychological counseling is it and, really yeah it depends on the state but at least that i had a guy on the podcast um, actually, the one Jamie showed it was right before the uh, wingsuit dude was uh, a dude who had been in Iraq and uh, and then he came back and worked as a SWAT team commander. You know, so he was like doing all sorts of really heavy stuff, and then he he just got out, and uh, now he's living off grid in Idaho, raising three little boys with his wife, and he's a former Mormon, so he sort of talked about how. His, you know, Mormonism taught him to respect authority and and do mm. what he was told, and uh, and you know that just fed right into his experience in the army and with the police. And but man, I have so much compassion for those guys who get out and like look back and say, "What did I do?" You know? Yeah. Who was that guy? Right. How and how they sort of like stop that, like stop the thought process. When they come back into civilization, yeah, but still have the memories, and and how do you trust yourself, right? You know that I'm not going to hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's it's hard, and and yeah, like like we were just saying, they, they get very little uh, support. You know, they they're sent off to do this horrible stuff, and then they come back, and it's like, okay, now don't do that anymore. Yeah, the the incremental progress that we achieve as a civilization. Is it's amazing, but also so frustratingly slow that no one, I mean, no one I've ever talked to thinks there's going to be a moment in our lifetime where there's no war. No one. No one thinks there's going to be a moment in our lifetime where there's no murder. No one thinks there's going to be a, a moment in our lifetime where there's no rape, where we just, we just figure it out. Like, I'm pretty confident if it was just the three of us forever, no one would rape anybody. No well, one would murder just anybody. Just the three of us? Just the three of us. I sure hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because I'm probably the, the victim here. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what what number of people have have how many people do they have to be? Yeah. Before one of those things becomes a possibility. Like yeah. What what if you have a group of close friends, a group of group of close friends who are good communicators and good, honest, healthy, friendly people can live together. And yeah. you know whatever issues you might have with someone not doing the dishes or someone forgetting to put back your lawnmower or whatever the fuck it is. You could work that out. It's, it's no yeah. big deal. Like, what is, what's the number of people? 150. Okay. That's right. Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm sure you've heard <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, that might really be it. That might be really be what we're programmed for. Well, that's what hunter-gather, that's where hunter-gather groups always splinter. Yeah. Or they never get beyond that. And I think that's why, because, uh, you know, a hunter-gatherer group, which is egalitarian and sharing and cooperative and all that, uh, by necessity, right? Because that's how our ancestors survived is by taking care of each other, mitigating risk. Um, you need reputational damage. And if everyone doesn't know everyone, reputational damage is no longer effective. So if you 
let's say you go and you're you're a good hunter and you kill an antelope and then you don't share it and you just keep it for yourself that's not going to go over real well with a hunter-gatherer group. You're, right. you're going to be uh, ridiculed, chastised, maybe expelled from the group, maybe have a hunting accident and die uh, because that hoarding, selfish behavior is extremely taboo in a hunter-gatherer mm-hmm. society. Whereas, you know, you look at our society uh, where reputational damage is no longer uh, functional – outside of your group of friends as long as you're good to your friends your golfing buddies you can screw the rest of the world you can not pay your contractors for years right, right. and become president right you know everyone, uh, yeah everyone in new york mm-hmm. I, I worked in real estate in new york in the 80s everyone knew who that guy was and what right. he was up to and that you couldn't trust him he was full of shit and he ripped everybody off and but that's how business works in new york even the the company I was working for is really interesting to see how your leverage uh, increased when you owed somebody a lot of money. You know, there's that truism. If you owe someone five bucks, you have a problem. If you owe them a million bucks, they have a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, you really see that. But yeah, I I think it's 150 is, is the cutoff for how many people we can keep track of. I think Dunbar's number has proved to be pretty accurate. Well, it seems to be what we're, what we evolved to sort of be accustomed to, right? Yeah. That's the <clears throat> Well, that's the, the neocortex. Yeah. That's, you know, Dunbar was looking at the, the brain anatomy of different primates. And by looking at the proportion of a neocortex to the rest of the brain, he predicted the maximum social size of those primates, of each of the species. Wow. And that's how he came to the estimate of 150 for humans. And then they went and looked at people that they did, uh, you know, data collection. That's so crazy. Yeah. That they can do the, the physical size of something like that, that there, there's a direct correlation, like, like the direct correlation between the size of uh, a primate's testicles and the amount of promiscuous females in the area. You've read Sex at Dawn, Joe. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I read it a long time ago, man. I read it a long time ago. Uh, I'm thinking I might do... Uh, I did the audiobook of Civilized to Death, which I, I really enjoyed that process. I'm thinking I might do a 10th anniversary director's cut audiobook of Sex at Dawn. Did you do the audio version? No. Who did? Actors. Oh, yuck. Yeah. Oh, yuck. My yeah. friend Steve Rinella, he wrote a book on Buffalo, the American Buffalo, you know, just the history of Buffalo in this country. And um, someone else wrote it, and he finally got the rights back, and he, yeah. he did it himself now. Yeah. But it well, just that's, killed, that's what I'm gonna killed do. him. Because the person who read it, it was like a soap opera actor. Right. Had no connection to the material at all. And in Sex at Dawn, there's a lot, there are a lot of jokes and, and you know, yeah. sort of wry asides and stuff. And the people who read it, they, they don't get it. They didn't get mm-hmm. the humor. So it's just the straight ahead. It's as if, you know, someone took your comedy material and just read it in a monotone. It's like, That's called come on. criticizing me in a blog. <laughs> That's what yeah. they do when someone takes it and just puts it in quotes like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah good point. Yeah, there's no delivery there. Yeah. There's no voice. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I think I'm going to, I don't know if Steve did this or not, but I think I'm going to, as I said, a director's cut. So I'll, I'll, you know, when I read a paragraph that reminds me of something or, you know, what I thought when I wrote that or, you know, my dad really wanted me to include that phrase or, you know, whatever little asides. So there will be some commentary as mm. well, I think. Yeah, that's a good move. Yeah. David Goggins had a really interesting way he did his. He did his book where uh, he actually didn't read it. He had a friend read it. 
Um, and then in between paragraphs, they discussed all the different events hmm. that happened that he talked about. And he gave other details that weren't in the book. Right. So the audio book is essentially like an audio book slash podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you're not just getting a reading of the book. You're getting <clears throat> bonus material as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really yeah. good. It's really good. That's – yeah, I mean – there's no rules with that kind of stuff. You know, it's your book. Right. You can kind of do whatever you want. You could even talk about how you feel now about yeah. that chapter. Sure. You could always what do that. What I would that. change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or how you feel about the material itself and what, how you interact with the facts that you uncovered versus before. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, I don't listen to audio books much, but in the van last summer I listened to the uh, Keith Richards autobiography. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. He reads, like, the beginning, and then this actor who sounds like him, oh, you know, no. has the same accent, uh, reads most of it. And then Johnny Depp reads a couple of chapters, <laughs> and then Keith comes back at the end. Well, that was one of the weird things about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, was Johnny Depp reading Hunter Thompson. And then, in a way, you know, honestly, did a better job of reading Hunter Thompson than Hunter Thompson has done reading Hunter Thompson. Yeah. You know, there's that famous speech yeah. about being there at the end of the 60s and watching the waves pull back. Sure. You know that? Uh, it crested yeah. at the yeah. Rocky Mountains mm -hmm. and then rolled back into yeah. the sea. Yeah. That's a fantastic speech, but the way Johnny Depp said it was better. Yeah. Like he. Have you ever seen Breakfast with Hunter? Yes. Do you remember? He freaks out about that particular yes. passage because. Yes. Who was it, Alex? Well, they were going to animate it. They were going to animate it. Yeah. yeah, and he fucking pulls out the gun and kicks him off the property yeah. and totally <laughs> loses his shit. You're going to take the best thing I've ever written and make it a fucking cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah my it's God. amazing. Yeah, it was... That guy used to go off. He was so crazy. Did you ever meet him? No, I'm oh. angry. Angry that I never met him. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. have loved to have met him. Yeah, and you probably there were probably a few years there where I could've. you could have. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah. There's a few people. Dick Gregory, he's one that I really wish I met. Mm. I would have loved to talk to him about what it was like to show the Kennedy assassination footage on Geraldo Rivera like 10 plus years after the fact. You know, the Zapruder film? Yeah. He introduces Zapruder film to the world. Really? Yeah. Dick Gregory's like a, a, comedian. a, a black activist. comedian. Yeah. yeah. Slash yeah. activist. Right. Yeah. 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 I remember Yeah. Him. He brought the Zapruder film to uh, Geraldo Rivera, and they played the Kennedy assassination on television. Oh, shit. It hadn't been seen no. publicly. No. Not mm -hmm. only did it not been seen publicly, I believe Time Magazine owned it. I think they bought the rights to it. See, see if that's true. And uh, they shelved it for, Whoa. I want to say, 12 years. It was like 75 when it aired on television. Mm. Somewhere in that range. And, you know, the assassination was 63. 60. Was it 63? Yeah. I think it was 63. Yeah. I was born in 62. Yeah. I yeah. guess it was right after I was born. And yeah. so no one had seen his head go back into the left oh. until that footage. And then people were like, wait, what the f Really? Which doesn't uh. necessarily- So how did Dick Gregory get the rights? I do not remember. Huh. I think- I don't remember. Who else? Have you met Werner Herzog? I have not. Are no, you I'd into love him? To. Yes. He's yes. a uh, he's Grizzly a character. Man is one of my all time yeah. favorite movies. Me too. <laughs> it's 
one of the best unintentional comedies ever, <laughs> but I don't think it's particularly unintentional. There's a fucking moment in yeah. that film where the sheriff, when the sheriff's talking about like the body and they're car- carrying the body off in bags, yeah. he's like, you know, what did you think? Well, first time I heard about it, I thought he was retarded. <laughs> and then the kid just has a smash cut to the sheriff's face, and I'm fucking howling. Yeah. I'm howling laughing. And I'm like, this guy did this on purpose. Like, There's so many cuts in this movie that are so humorous. Yeah. I got to think that, and Werner Herzog, have you ever heard him on Eric Weinstein's podcast? No brilliant guy oh really, yeah he's really interesting intense guy and very dark sense of humor oh yeah 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 well that's why i thought i was like this motherfucker did this on purpose yeah he made this a comedy so do you think that what was the name of the character timothy treadwell yes the, yeah yes when i watched that movie my feeling was this guy is closeted yes. gay dude 100 percent. yeah you felt no that question. too okay he brings up if I was gay, it would be easy, mm. but I'm not gay. Right. That's what he says. Because you say, why can't I find a girl? You know, he's like walking through the woods <laughs> with this like lispy gay way of talking. Yeah. And he's talking to the, for people who don't know what this documentary is about, it's about a guy named Timothy Treadwell. And Timothy Treadwell was, uh, well, I guess you could say he was a bear expert, but not really. Because the real bear experts were like, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. He should get out of there. Yeah. Like, what he's doing is rid- he doesn't need to protect these bears. He's pretending that he's protecting these bears. And he's living with them. I think there was a certain element of it that was suicide by bear. Yeah. I really do. And he was walking through the woods holding this camcorder, getting filmed, going, if I was gay, it would be so easy. Right. Talking to the camcorder yeah. as his only friend because yeah. he was out there alone for months at a time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every summer. But no one who's not gay says, well, if I was gay, it would be really easy. Unless I've you're, said that a lot, Joe. But unless you're being funny oh, with a friend. Yeah. Like, well, if I was gay, I would just hook up with some dudes. Right. But he's saying it like, why can't I find a girl? If I was gay, it'd be so easy. No, it wouldn't. You're still living in the woods with monsters. You're going to get a bunch of gay guys gay guys they want to be in boys town okay? i think they should remake the movie in a bear bar <laughs> <laughs> on broadway <laughs> that would be hilarious that would be hilarious grizzly they, man inst- yeah instead of doing it with the forest and actual grizzly right. bears in the west village with, yeah yeah if i was gay it'd be easy there's bears everywhere <laughs> I went to a bear bar with Andrew Sullivan and Dan Savage. There's there's actually a bear bar? Oh, there are lots of bear bars. They call them bear bars? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Nice. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, bears are big, hairy... Gay guys. Gay guys. Think Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer. <laughs> they, have exactly. a, they do a podcast exactly. called Two Bears, One Cave. Oh, do they? Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. But neither one of them is gay, but yeah. Yeah. beside the point. But if they were gay, they'd be bears. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Bears. Dan Savage is a trip. I've had him on the podcast. Yeah. Before. Yeah, I know. I saw that. That was interesting. He's an interesting guy. He's he's super smart yes. and funny as shit. And, yeah. and he's armed with nothing but a sense of humor and a great intellect and a big heart. He's And honesty. Yeah. yeah. He's changed the world. He's yeah. saved who knows how many lives. You know, he's, a, he's beautiful. I really like Dan a lot. Yeah, when someone can just be themselves – Again, you know, that's who he is. And Timothy Treadwell, if he had listened to Dan Savage, yes, everything yes. would be different. Well, that leap, man, that coming out leap, fuck, it's got to be so hard for people. I, I know several guys that are closeted, and it's torturous. Yeah. Torturous to see. And one of them, you know, I've talked to him. I was like, just come out, man. No one gives a fuck. We don't care. Yeah. No one cares. You'll, you'll, it'll be a giant relief. 
Yeah. It just they worry about, especially you know, actors. Yeah. You know, they worry about their careers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, when your career is more important than the, the integrity of yourself. But I don't think it hurts you. Know? I don't believe it. Uh, yeah. I don't believe it. The only thing that would hurt with the actors is leading man. Yeah, Rock roles. Hudson kind of guy. Yeah, leading yeah. that's one thing that's fucking real. Like if you're a like I don't know if Tom Cruise is gay, but that's always been this stupid rumor, right? right. Let's let's assume it's true. Yeah. If he did come out of the closet, man, nobody wants to go see a movie where he's a leading man, he's got a wife and kids. You'd be like, That guy's sucking dick. Like he would, <laughs> he, would he would never buy into it. That's yeah. the like a, a gay woman. Like Jodie Foster right. okay, could easily play a straight woman right. in a movie and no sure. one would care. It'd yeah. be fine. But when a gay, that's the, that is the fucking glass ceiling in Hollywood. It's one of them, right? When a, a gay man comes out of the closet, those roles, John Travolta or whatever it is, whoever, whoever it would be, I don't, I don't know if he's gay either, but if he was, that's the fucking, that's, that's where the buck stops. You cannot yeah. be the leading man who's the married guy with kids, yeah. or the the hot man who's you know in a sexual relationship with a woman. If we know that you're having sex with men, but then it's funny, right? We can watch straight actors pretend to be gay, like Burke sure. Back Mountain. Sure, that's no problem. Sure, no yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah, very strange. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's one of the last open prejudices that we all accept. Because no one's been able to bridge that gap. Except, what's that dude's name? That fucking, he's got three names. Little skinny guy. He used to be on a sitcom, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, <clears throat> Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, that Doogie guy. Hauser. Doogie Hauser. Yeah. yeah, that guy. He's openly gay. And didn't he play a womanizer on a sitcom? I think on How I Met Your Mother. I think yeah, what yeah. It, I've never watched it. But. but the thing about sitcoms is, they're like plays. Like those kind of sitcoms in front of an audience, they're horseshit. Mm. You know, it's like it's not it's not like a movie. It's right. horseshit. You know, you know it's horseshit. Everyone knows it's horseshit. Anything with a laugh track, yeah. I'm very suspicious or or studio audience. Like Happy Days. Like I mm. love Henry Winkler, but the Fonz. Yeah, right? that's horseshit. No wait, is Henry Winkler gay? No, I don't think so. Maybe I, no I always assumed he was. Because he was so overcompensating with the Fonz. I think that was the character. You yeah. meet him in real life, he is the nicest guy I've ever met. Yeah, he's, he's in so that, He's in Barry now, right? He's, he's, <laughs> is he? Yeah, he's, he plays an acting coach in Barry. I haven't seen it. I, I hear it's I've great. I've never seen Barry. He's yeah. a uh, fly fisherman. Hmm. He wrote a book on fly fishing. And I think the book's called I Never Met an Idiot on the River. Because hmm. like, there's something about fly fishing. Fly fishing is a very weird pursuit. Because a lot of it is catch and release. Yeah. Which, as a person who enjoys the outdoors and enjoys eating fish that I catch, I'm very torn on that activity, that catch and release activity. I know it's fun, and I have done it. I get it. But it's weird. It's weird. You're sticking a hook through yeah, an animal's face. I was going to say, face. it traumatizes the fish. It's got to. They I mean, got to. How remember, many of them die? Uh, so, well, fly fishing, very few, uh, because you're dealing with barbless hooks for the most part, right. so it just goes into this cartilage in their mouth they don't really mm -hmm. feel, and then allegedly don't really feel. I don't know if they feel it. And then, yeah. you know, they pull it out, and they're fine. But there's some catch and release, especially with, like, three-pronged barbed hooks where the animals definitely die. You yeah. know, they get, they get caught in their gills, and they start bleeding from their gills, and then you have to release them anyway because, you know, in some places the regulation is catch and release. Yeah. But people love doing it. They find, like, peace 
like drifting a fly past this area where the fish is lying dormant and then you pull the fly and then the fish grabs it and then you got them. Oh boy. Yeah. But it's you're tapping into this sort of primal reward system that you have in your DNA that makes you want to uh, catch these fish. But it gives you a reason to be out by the river Mm -hmm. out in the morning. Normally it's morning or dusk when Mm -hmm. the flies are landing. I I think I've been hunting since the last time you and I spoke. Yeah, uh, bow hunting. You went bow hunting? Yeah, yeah, uh, on Hawaii, Big Island. Oh, uh, I actually you, didn't went on you two go trips. with uh, Kyle Kingsbury yeah. and Ben Greenfield and that all those That was guys? a deer, uh, Axis deer trip to Molokai. You have a bow? I do. How, how, do you, how often do you practice? Uh, since I went hunting, not much. But before I went, every day. Yeah, I was, I was into it. Did you have it. a coach? Nope. Uh, I had some friends who, you know, uh, helped me out, and um, I watched some, you know, uh, Cam, your buddy. Cam Harris. Yeah, I watched some Cam of his Hanks. videos. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting experience. So, first I went on that uh, trip with, um, yeah, Peter. Atia. Atia and mm-hmm. Ben Greenfield, like mm-hmm. all these podcasts, human optimization who set, who guys. Who set that whole thing up? Uh, my buddy Kyle Tierman, who's a big wave surfer. Uh, he spends a lot of time in Hawaii, and he knows a lot of people there. Uh, Healy, Jeff Healy, I think, big mm-hmm. big surfer dude. Anyway, so he knew all these people, and I guess uh, uh, Aubrey and some other those guys sort of asked him to hook them up with a trip. Mm. And so he put it all together, and then at the last minute, I think Aubrey couldn't go. I think because you were coming down to Austin, and he wanted to, to you know coordinate with you or something. So they said, yo, Chris, if you want to go, it's ah. it's all paid for. And I'm like, helicopters? Hawaii? Fuck yeah. So did you have to practice leading up to that, or were you already shooting a bow? I was already shooting because uh, we had uh, – my uh, Kyle and I, Kyle Tierman and I, had already planned a trip uh, for like three weeks after that. Ah. So I was already practicing for that, which was going to be a pig hunting trip on the Big Island. Um, but then I went on this deer thing, but mainly I went on the deer thing just cause it was an opportunity to fly around in helicopters mm-hmm. and see Molokai, which is amazing. Right. But I didn't hunt on that cause I didn't, uh, honestly, I didn't want to, um, hurt anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted didn't to feel like you were competent enough with it no, or you didn't the, want to do it at well, all. Well, the deer are farther away and they're much harder. Uh, they're much more aware and like socking them is a lot harder. And so I just basically hung out and had a good time. They're so hard. Yeah. They're so that, that animal axis deer is, uh, an animal that evolved, uh, to get away from tigers. Right. They're, they're the fastest thing I've ever hunted yeah. by far. Super alert. I hunted with Cam Haynes and uh, on Molokai. No, on Lanai uh. and um, John Dudley just uh, just before you guys went, uh, right. and we were there between the time we were there and the, when we were there the last spring. There was 150 hunters that went there to bow hunt. One was successful. Really? Everyone else pulled out a rifle. Huh. Everyone else is like, fuck this. Because you can't get anywhere near those goddamn things without mm. them jumping. But if you can get your stalking skills down where you can sneak up on an axis deer and kill one with a bow, holy shit. That's yeah. that's black belt level stuff. Well, the dudes I were with, Peter Atia, he he got two or three, I remember. He's very, very, very into it. Yeah. He's a super, super smart guy. Yeah, he is. You know. He's cool. I, I enjoyed hanging with all those dudes. 
But then the next, uh, you know, three weeks later, we went, uh, Kyle and me and Simon Rex. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. He's a actor. Slash comedian. Slash comedian. Dirt Nasty. Dirt Nasty rapper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Anyway, we went uh, on this pig hunting trip, and that was interesting. That was... You know, I, saw, I, I wanted to have the experience because I'd never hunted. I'd never killed anything. And I eat meat, so I felt like I have this, you know, responsibility to, to have the experience and confront it and all that. And um, I was actually the first of our group to, to kill a pig. And uh, it was strange. I didn't feel sad or traumatized. I felt heightened awareness, you know, like um, – but I, and I think I might hunt again. I'm, I'm probably I'm moving to Colorado. Uh, I just bought land in Colorado. Oh yeah, what, um, what part? Uh, sort of south central. It's a tiny little town, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a interesting area there. But anyway, there's a lot of elk hunting there, mm. and I'll probably do some elk hunting with local people you gonna do it with a bow again no i think i'll use a rifle yeah because i think that's the way to go if yeah you're not gonna be completely obsessed and do it every day i'm not yeah uh because i don't do that yeah um and also i don't you know the thing about a bow is and maybe this is what you're implying here if you're not really good the chances of you of an elk running off or a pig running off with an arrow in its ass mm-hmm. and dying a slow horrible death is quite high mm-hmm if you hit him with a rifle, right. high-powered rifle with a scope, you know, and you're in you the right still, range. You can still wound him, but you're, yeah. it's, you're much more competent with, yeah. a, with a rifle. Yeah. And it's a better, better meat-gathering tool. Right. It's a be, be good way to, to talk it, to yeah. s- describe it. And Colorado has, uh, I think, twice as many elk as any other state really? in the country. Yeah. Huh. Colorado is one of the best places in the world to elk hunt. Yeah. So that's a good spot if you're looking. And also, you're taking a life. You take an elk, that's a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. I shot this pig. It was about, you know, mm-hmm. it was a yearling, I think. It's not a lot of meat on a pig that size. No. So yeah. yeah, it's but it was it was interesting. Are you living in this van? Are you no? You, I have an have apartment. I still have an apartment in L.A., but I'm about to give it up. I think just to just be a nomad. Yeah, because I mean, I was in the van all you know, five months, and it's like okay, I'm paying rent to right. what? Like for to leave my clothes there, basically. Right. Like I don't really need to be doing that. No, I I admire that sort of nomad sense of life i i admire i don't ever see myself doing it yeah but i there's a romantic aspect to it that's undeniable well your life's different man you have kids you know you're you're you have a a life here that's really you've built over a lot of time you know i just got here a few you're years kind of ago a prisoner to that though in a certain way you're a prisoner to uh all your obligations there's, there's, oh sure that's one of the things yeah. that's romantic about this nomadic thing that you're doing yeah it's like you, you know i have to come here i have a certain amount of podcasts i have to do a week but you They're don't joe up. you don't i don't i don't i mean that's right. i was thinking that we're talking about the the you know closeted gay actors what is money worth if you can't buy your freedom with it mm-hmm. your freedom to be who you are right right as a closeted gay person right let's say um what, what what is it good for? I mean, well, that's I the first the, thing. The closeted gay folks, the the real problem is like the feeling that you're going to be rejected if you come out. I think that's entirely different than someone who gets wrapped up in jobs like 
my, one of the things that I could say about the jobs that I have is that I really do enjoy them. Like I'm enjoying this conversation. I, I love talking oh, yeah. to people. Yeah. I love doing stand up. Love it. And I still enjoy doing the UFC. Those are my three jobs. Yeah. And I don't do the UFC as much as I used to. Would you do them all if you were making a hundred grand a year total? Um, I mean, I certainly obviously could live off a hundred grand a year. Yeah. I mean, if that's what I made a year. So, so the money isn't what makes them fun. No, it's the, no, it's no, the no. thing itself. The, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's what's made the money. What's made the money is my, I mean, I think, right. I think it's my enjoyment of the things right. that's made them interesting. Like uh, one of the things about podcasts and I think. There, it, it, there's is a parallel in stand-up, is that genuine enthusiasm, like real legitimate enthusiasm, is contagious. Yeah. And uh, if you're genuinely interested in talking to people and genuinely curious, it's interesting to listen to. Right. And you know, you do your best to get out of your own way, and you do your best. I do my best to not be annoying. And, and uh, yeah, I fuck up sometimes. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about yeah. it. You're a, I'm a human being, and I've done. But you cop to it when you them. do, which yeah. I think is another thing that's endearing. And I mean, you're a really interesting case, as I'm sure you know. And and I've watched you even since I've known you. Like your profile has moved much closer to mainstream American, you know, popular. You were you were mentioned on fucking Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, where right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and there, where there's some article about Joe, where was it in Harper's or the New Yorkers, something recently that I read, like super mainstream. Mm. Um, and but you're really interesting because you're like this man's man, but you're also vulnerable. You know, you're also like you admit when you fuck up. Like you had someone, the, the Twitter guy on, and you're like, yeah, Jack Dorsey. I wasn't yeah. prepared. I fucked it up, and you had him back, and that's cool. That's. And, and it, it's probably, I don't know, is it hard for you to maintain that kind of humility when you're getting all this pressure no. and opportunities and all this stuff coming at you? No, I don't think so. No, I think uh, that's just being honest. You know, if you, I mean, I think if I'd stopped, if I fucked up and I stopped admitting that I was fucking up, it would all go off the rails. There's right. no way I, would, I I couldn't maintain who I am. I would be thinking about it all the time. Right. You'd be like back to the closeted. Yeah, gay yeah. Dude, you'd be right? closeted. You'd be Gonna a clo- bullshit artist. Yeah, you'd just be, exactly. Yeah. You'd just be pretending you're cooler than you are. I think uh, p- part of being a human being is making mistakes. It's a messy thing to be a person, you know. And I mean, I'm also big on forgiveness, and I think you have to be because. Human beings are are fallible, and and like we're saying, we we vary from moment to the next. And to try to hold someone to who they were six months ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, or what they said or what they did, and not accept it and hold a grudge, to me, that's crazy. I don't like. Do you want people to do that to you? That's what kind of life is that? What kind of civilization are we creating where people hold grudges and yeah. And and don't forgive people for things of the past, but you also have to be able to forgive yourself. That's I struggle with that way more, believe it or not, than I struggle with forgiving other people. Right, I can forgive other people pretty easy for whatever reason. I've mm. always been able to. You know, I've always so been what's able to, what's the difference? I'm super self critical, and uh, I have uh, definitely some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder mm. that allows me to get really good at things because I obsess. Right, you know, it's probably unhealthy, but I manage it. Yeah. But like the 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 mania that goes on in my mind, 
I just figured out a way to put it to use. Right. It's like, okay, I got this fucking engine. Like, what do I stick in? Let me stick a thing in there and I could drill a hole with that instead of just having it going, which a lot of people do. A lot of people don't find a focus for whatever mania they have going on in their mind. So I've, I've found various things. That's one of the reasons why I don't ever see myself not doing anything. I don't have enough time. That's my issue. There's a lot of things that I love to do yeah. that I just don't have the time for. Do you feel like you're f- – how old are you? 52. Do you feel like you're f- you're sort of figuring things out? Always. Yeah. I mean like I have this sense, 57, I have this sense that like I, like, I don't know, like I'm – I finally learned to dance and the party's almost over. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great way to say it. That's hilarious. It's like I'm finally yeah. figuring this shit out and I'm almost 60. Well, I remember shit. when I was like 26, 25, and when I first came out here, I remember thinking, boy, boy by the time I'm 52, I'll fucking everything solved. <laughs> <laughs> you th- there's arbitrary yeah. numbers yeah. that we have in our head of who you should be yeah. at, at 50 or 60 or whatever the number is. And uh, that's you're just alive, man. You're just alive. Yeah. And while you're alive, you better forget about all those numbers. Forget I remember you thinking like the, now. the year 2000, yes. when the year 2000 comes – like, what's that going to be like? Right. Wow, I'm going to yeah. be so old and, yeah. Dude, Jesus. it's almost 2020. I know. It's going to be 2020 in a couple of months. That's crazy. <laughs> that is such a nutty yeah. number. That's so crazy. Yeah. Well, that's why I love living in the van, dude. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, you know, so much has ha- since you and I sat, I don't know, a year or so since we've seen each other. Yeah. My, my dad's died. I'm living in the van. I, this book's come out. Like, all this stuff's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've spent most of the time sitting by a campfire looking at the stars, you know? It's fucking the, – the times that I get outside, like when I elk hunt every year, and I, I spend time uh, particularly in Utah in the mountains, the place that we go, it's just – it's cleansing in yeah. a way that is so hard to describe. It's so hard to describe what it's like just to be out there in the woods and be in the forest and be with the wild animals and – you know, it's your home. Yeah. And that's what this book's about. And I, I don't mean to push the conversation to the book, but that's why I wrote the book. Like we are designed by evolution. Civilized to death. live available now available at, at bookstores book near you and Amazon and all that other stuff. We're designed to live in that world. Yes. So that's why it feels so good. That's why golf courses look the way they do. Mm-hmm. You know, even fucking, you know, old executives love being out there on the grass yeah. and the water and the yeah. undulating hills. Yeah. It's the African savanna. Wow. I know, even when it's manicured, right? It still feels good. It still yeah. feels good to be connected to nature. It feels good to be on a lake. Yeah. Lakes are the best, man. To be able to sit on the dock of a lake, like, there's a feeling of like, ah. <sighs> You know, you look out, you see trees. Have you ever been to Coeur d'Alene? Yeah, I was I, there this summer. I haven't, but uh, a friend of mine has a house there, and I saw a picture of the water. And, like, you look all the way down, like, 100 feet deep. Yeah. Down, you see the bottom, like, it's like a piece of glass. Yeah. Like, this is bananas. Yeah, I didn't take a shower for about three months. It must have smelled amazing. I smelled great, because every morning I jumped in a river. Oh, it was, you know, that every counts. Month. Yeah. That counts, though. Oh, yeah. Did you use soap or no? No, I, know, I haven't no. used soap in a decade. Oh, Jesus. But yeah. you smell okay. How yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My microbiome is, is working. Well, it's there's, fine. Well, there's articles no that have shampoo. been written about that by, by people that say you shouldn't use soap. Yeah. No, a lot of them, because you're disrupting your microbiome. Yeah. You don't, st- I mean, I use deodorant. Yeah. There's Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. 
Sand Point's really nice too. Idaho's great. Idaho's gorgeous. Yeah. I love Boise. Yeah, and, and Montana, amazing. Western Montana. Is oh yeah, man, insane. Yeah, look how pretty that is, though. God damn that lake. And yeah, when you have a boat on a lake, it's like you have a car, but there's no road. Everything is a road. It's all flat. Yeah. So you can go wherever the fuck you want. Same You're thing freedom. with airplanes. Oh, it's yeah, amazing it's what you can do. That's even crazier. You yeah. into flying? Well, my friend Bill uh, has. Uh, well, he has a helicopter license. Oh yeah. And he took. Oh, me Bill up Burr. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He took me around his helicopter. That's and I pretty thought wild. about that. I was like, that might be a cool thing to get into. But that's hard. He spent yeah, he spent a lot of time learning how to fly. And it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But a single engine airplane, you can I a mean, hundred grand, you get a decent single en- engine airplane and you can go wherever you want. My uncle has an amphibious plane, so he lands on lakes. Oh wow. Yeah. And he used to uh could he land on ground too? Yeah. So that's amphibious. So it has wheels and floats. Does you have to switch things up or? Yeah. So you have to you just, change out the. No, no. You just push a button and the wheels retract. Oh, no shit. Yeah. He forgot uh, once and oh, flipped no. it. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to forget. How many people fly drunk? Yeah. I bet they do. Yeah. Right? Well, if the weather's good. Wasn't that like a Patrick Swayze thing like before he kicked the bucket? <laughs> what, what are you laughing about? What are you laughing at? You're laughing at something, huh? Harrison Ford. Oh, oh that's right. Right? Was he drunk? Harrison Ford might have been. Might have been. I don't know. Uh. Might have been. Or it might maybe he's an old dude. Old dudes look drunk all the time. <laughs> you know? And babies. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that is a that's that's a great way to achieve privacy too, right? You, like you're if you're a guy like Harrison Ford, I mean that guy. It must be hard for that guy to go anywhere. Yeah. Right. It's probably real hard for him to go to a regular airport. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the perfect amount of fame. I was thinking mm. about this today on the airplane, flying down from Portland. I'm like, I was in the front row, so I had extra like leg room, but I wasn't in business class. Mm. That's, that's where I am in fame. I want to stay right there. <laughs> I got a little extra egg room. Right. You like, can be normal, stretch your legs out. But- some people recognize me, but they all like me. If you don't like me, you don't know who the hell I am. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah. you're at a different level. There are people yeah. who recognize you who are like, yeah, fuck that guy, Joe. You, me, nothing. I mean, you get Remarkably mostly love, though, I'm sure. though, most people are nice. Yeah. yeah. Even, you know, it's people... Even people that don't like you, they don't really know you. Right. If they knew you. It's like, some I'm, image they have. I'm nice. If you know me and you meet me, <laughs> I guarantee we're probably going to get along. Yeah. And if we don't, I'm going to work hard to make it un- not uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it's just the thing about people liking people and not liking people. A lot of it is this severely limited way of communicating, especially when it's one way, right? If you're putting out a podcast or you're putting out books yeah. and they're reading your shit, but they don't get to interact at all, that builds resentment. There's a, there's a lot of weird resentment that people develop when they listen to you right. and they don't get to interact. Like say, like, yeah. especially if someone like me, Who's always talking shit, right? I'm oh, I, I talk shit for a living basically, yeah. and I'm always giving my opinions. And some people have a probably maybe even a strong point that I probably even agree with them, and they don't get to say anything. So right. they're sitting at home listening, like fuck this guy. I'm tired of his bull. Yeah, and you yeah. occupy space in their lives. Yes, and, but and they don't. They, they don't they, get to. Interact. You owe them something. Yes, yeah. yes, and yes. That, that makes sense. Yes. I mean, there makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. a crude way of communicating. Yeah, these one-way methods of communication are very crude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking my buddy Simon and I were in a in a restaurant in Venice, and the woman recognized me and like, oh, I love your podcast, and 
gave me your number and I was like, yeah, I'll give her a call sometime. And Simon's like, dude, I would never do that. You never, never, you know, interact with your fans, you know? And, and then I was like, no, but Simon, you don't get it. She actually knows me. Like in, yeah. in Simon's case, like he was in scary movie three, four, five. Mm-hmm. He was a, you know, he, he plays these characters. So when people are like, yo, Simon, like they don't know him. Right. They, he's this, the face they recognize, but they don't know the dude. Right. So it's a different kind of thing. I really like the van trips, what the anthropology thing. I'll say, okay, I'm going to be in, you know, Boise at this uh, beer pub Thursday at eight. And people show up, 50, 100 people show up. Really? Oh, yeah. But it's mainly so they can meet each other. So when you do this, do you do live shows? Do no. Do you do live shows? I've never done a live show. I've done like Duncan's. Uh, a couple times with oh, him, okay. you know, we've done, we did the, uh, what was it, a couple years ago, we did the keynote at the float conference in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That was a good audience. That Oh, yeah, that's a tuned in group of people, right? But I, I don't do the shows, I just... Keynote at a float conference. <laughs> with Duncan, yeah, it <laughs> oh was great. Oh, my God, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But it's really just uh, to build community. That's what uh-huh. I want to do. I want them to meet each other. Because they're all beautiful weirdos. Right, right. You know? And Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are. I've never met anyone through the podcast that I didn't really actually like. What kind of numbers do you get? Like, what kind of downloads? How many episodes? Uh, d- you, you know, it's episode? hard to know, but probably 50,000 an episode. That's perfect. Something like that. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. That's a good number. Between 50 and 100. Like, you know, when you and Duncan were on, when we were doing the shrimp parade thing, mm-hmm. it would, you know, peak because it's you guys. Do you uh, um, use advertising? And w- I didn't. Do? For five years, <laughs> it was uh, listener support. Only. Deal? Yeah. yeah, and then this friend of mine uh, who has this company, uh, Mudwater, um, uh, he was sort of launching that, and he was like, "Dude, I want to, I want to advertise on your podcast." And I'm like, "Yeah, I love you, buddy, but I don't, uh, yeah. I don't do that." And then he sent me an email that uh, email chain where he was negotiating with another podcast that has roughly the same audience numbers as mine, and I was like. Really? I'm leaving that much on the table? Fuck. So I I started, at this point, I only do ads for companies that I really like and that I use their stuff. So I don't do, you know, I don't have a broker or any of that stuff. Yeah, I think the subscription model, like when people are paying, like a paywall, the the problem is the, the growth is so limited. So then you could either just do it for free and put it out there and maybe just sell books or sell t-shirts, t-shirts or, you know, in my case, uh, tickets to shows. That would work. Right. I'm going to be in Cleveland this weekend and Detroit. Nice. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen. What's it like but, to play Detroit? Is Detroit coming back? I love back? Detroit. I love Detroit. They're yeah. good people. They're fun people. They're I happy bet. you're there. Yeah. Detroit is not necessarily coming back to where it used to be. It's a bit like, what is a comeback? Right. You know? It's never going to like, be an auto industry. When you get yeah. back in shape and you're 70, guess what? You're never going to be who you were when you were 20. Right. You know, it's not never going to be what it was. Yeah. I mean, it was the richest city in America hmm. at one point in time, right? Yeah. You know, during the, the peak of yeah. automobile production. Right. I believe it was the rich or one of the richest cities in America. And it's a far cry from that now. And it's strange when you drive through the town and you see these boarded up buildings and factories with all their broken windows and just you could buy a house for like a hundred bucks like it's yeah. it's weird it's yeah. weird but then there's also a lot of like craft restaurants and these businesses that are building up and these hippies that have kind of moved in and 
you know, they're kind of, you know, making stuff there. And right. there's a lot of cool shit. It's cheap enough to on. get in and yeah. do stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. Which is, you know, if you're a young person growing up there, you know, like you can make something happen. And with the internet, the your ability to establish a business and your ability to, you know, to actually get something off the ground, it's so much different than it ever has been before. Yeah. And, and people love a good comeback story. So Detroit, like a bunch of Detroit-made things could be exciting for people. Like, yeah, look at that. Detroit, I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. it's Detroit-made. You know, there's a company called Shinola. Have you ever heard yeah, of Yeah, the yeah. watches. Right? Really nice watches. American-made watches. They make a bunch of other stuff, too, like bags, leather goods, things along yeah. those lines. But one of the things they proudly say is made in Detroit. And it, they make cool shit, you know. So right. it's, there's something to that, you know. But the place I'm working at is the Fox Theater, and it's just like really fucking cool old theater. And what's interesting, there's uh, columns, and it was back when people used to be able to smoke. They smoked in there so much that all the columns are like, they have that orangey nicotine sort of tint to them, but one of the columns was replaced. So this one column is like clear and smooth and clean, and the other ones are like fucking orangey. Like you could, it seems like you could go up to them with a butter knife and just scrape the nicotine off of them, mm. you know. But it's a beautiful old building that was made way, way, way back in the day. And they said that when it was first made, it was one of the only buildings in Detroit that had air conditioning. Mm. So people would go to see movies there and they would pay to see movies just so they, they could fall asleep. Mm. They'd go in there and just the cool air and they'd fall asleep during the summer because, you know, people would just be sweltering yeah. in the I, heat of the summer. I've done that in Bangkok. Yeah? Just gone to a cinema just to get out of the heat. Nice. I fucking love Thailand, man. Oh, uh, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed Thailand when I you was You went there. recently. Yeah, right? last summer. It's like, people are so nice. Food's great. Amazing. It's the one country I'm comfortable recommending to just about anyone. Yeah. Because the, the sort of confluence of, of uh, convenience and safety and ease, and it's still exotic and really mm-hmm. interesting and yeah. very foreign. You know, I wouldn't recommend India to everyone or Indonesia, but Thailand is like... Whatever your tolerance is, you'll find something there that works for you. Yeah, I know a lot of fighters who've gone there for camps, for uh, training camps, and wound up either moving there or starting camps there mm. or starting gyms there. They just love it so much. It's I feel like life. it's a part of their home. Yeah, I've yeah. been there a lot, probably 10 times over the years. Yeah, it's real cheap, too, yeah. in terms of like food, eating, yeah. lodging. Yeah, the best food in the world, yeah, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Thai it's, food. I love spicy food, so to yeah. me, it's, it's excellent. And it's balanced. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not just like blast your face mm-hmm. off spice. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to Laos at all? No. That's, no. that's an interesting place. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Did I heard go- Vietnam's amazing. You know, that was uh, Bourdain's, one of his favorite yeah, places Yeah, he to go. loved it. I know. I know. I was there for three months in Vietnam. Um I didn't dig it that much. Uh, there's some really beautiful places, but I found – I was traveling with uh, Casilda, my wife, who's um, dark-skinned, and there's a lot of uh, racism. Oh. She got harassed a lot because everyone assumed that she was a local and with me makes her a prostitute mm. and dark skin makes her low class. So there was a lot – she got – a dude punched her. Like a she was guy on. Punched yeah, her? an adolescent kid ran up. We were on a motorbike in this rice paddies, and this kid just ran up and punched her in the back, and then ran off. 
Whoa. Yeah. A young kid? Yeah, like 15 or so. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. She got, she got like physically accosted three times in Vietnam. How long were you there? Three months. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't dig Vietnam that much. And then we went, we got to Laos and it was, and there was like, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tough country. They've had, I mean, mm. shitstorm been going yeah. on there since the forties, you know, or even before that, the French occupation and all that. So I, I don't, I'm not blaming anyone. Isn't it's not a big part of the heroin trade Laos as well. Uh, it was during it was. the Vietnam War, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I think heroin's more coming out of Afghanistan, Afghanistan. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Mexico. You know, they've got Dude, the cartels. Do you see the fucking shit that's going down? <sighs> yeah, there's the where the the government and the armies have backed down and let the cartels really run everything. Yeah, yeah. well, they took uh, Chapo El Chapo's son back, right? Yes. How yeah. insane is that? Yeah. I mean, how is that going to play out? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to Mexico in a couple months, but I'm going to a different part of this. Where are you going? Uh, Chiapas, way down south, oh, okay. on the border with Guatemala. There's, I really love it down there. There's a town called San Cristobal de las Casas that's up in the the Ponderosa Pines, maybe mm-hmm. 4,000 feet. It's beautiful. The Indian villages around, and they come down on market day. And I'm going to go down there and work on another book. What do you what are you writing now? Uh, you know, it's kind of under wraps because I talked about this book way too much and it slowed me down. So Is it I'm, all about Neil Young's bed? <laughs> <laughs> can we cut that out? <laughs> I, I can get a guy in trouble for saying that. Um, uh, you remember the first time I was on this show, how fucked up it was at the beginning? What did, we were do? you even aware of that? What happened? So the first time I came on the show, I didn't know you, right? And I didn't know anything about you because I was living in Spain. And Duncan, I had done Duncan's show. It was the first time I'd done a podcast. I didn't know what a podcast was. I came to LA to visit my parents. I had this email from Duncan. I'm a comedian. You want to do a podcast? I'm like, sure. Never met a comedian. Don't know what a podcast is. So I did it. And we had a good time. And after he's like, oh, you know, I'd love to introduce you to my friend Joe Rogan. I think you guys would get along and you could do his podcast. I'd never heard of Joe Rogan. Right. And, and uh, no insult intended. Or I just I lived in Spain. I didn't never watch Fear Factor. I'd, your whole thing was happening over here. I didn't know about it. And then I went back to Spain. I was like, OK, Duncan's friend Joe does this podcast in his living room the way Duncan does, I assumed. Right. And I went back to Spain and I was talking to my buddy Voodoo, who's a tattoo artist. And uh, he's like, so how was L.A.? I was like, yeah, cool. I did a podcast with this comedian. It was really fun and interesting. And he's like, oh, you should do Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm like, dude, how do you know Duncan's friend Joe, right? It was this whole weird thing. He's like, no, dude, Joe Rogan's. So I tried to tell you that story the first time I came. And the point of the story is I'm an idiot. I don't know what's going on, right? I'm oblivious. But we got to the point where I said I didn't know you. And you were like, so what would you do, Google me? And I was like, oh, well, not really. And then, and then we had to do a sound check or you had to do an ad or something. And it got, the story got interrupted. And I felt like you thought I was trying to diss you or something. No, I definitely didn't. I, uh, yeah. Well, I was paranoid. Then you lit up a joint <laughs> and you passed the joint the around. Paranoia. And I'm like, fuck, if I don't hit this joint, then I'm confirmed <laughs> asshole here. So I hit the joint even though I hadn't smoked any weed in months. Do, 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 and it was do, this like do, California do, do, weed. Do, do. 
I'm holding, literally, I remember, I'm holding the bottom of my chair, trying not to fall out of the chair. And, and we start talking, and I'm telling the story about a dude that I'd met on an airplane, and he was super into Sex at Dawn, and then we were going to do a movie together and whatever. And then his wife, like, took the book away from him. Yeah. Do you remember all yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then I was just like, oh fuck, I shouldn't have told that story. That, that you know, this this whole I'm I'm fucking everything up. And I said to you, can we just because we're like five minutes in at this point? And I was like, Joe, can we just like cut this and start over? And you looked at me, you said, "Is live, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember any of that. I do now. Yeah, I do now. Oh man, I knew the guy. I knew yeah, the guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you were like, "Say his name." And then I said no. his name. You're like, "No, he's a friend of mine." And I'm like, "Oh shit, I should have said his name." And the whole thing. Yeah, and then I left. Casilda was here uh, in the studio, and we left. We got in the car, and I said, "Man, was that?" as awkward as I felt. And she's like, that's the worst I've ever seen you. <laughs> <laughs> you were great. <laughs> oh, shit. Established a great friendship. Yeah, yeah. No well, issues at I all. I don't know. Maybe you enjoyed watching me suffer. I don't no, know. I, don't know. I, I do enjoy watching people get too high. <laughs> it's not a suffer thing. It's yeah. like I've been there. I'm, it's a commiseration thing, I think. I uh, One of the things about these Sober October things is you realize like – there's so many things that are so much easier when you're not high. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you, you handicap yourself <laughs> by getting baked. Like, yeah. I was talking to uh, Red Band, Brian Red Band, about this. Like, we were talking about, like, how the early days of podcast, we would get obliterated before we would do the podcast. Like, for years, like, up until, like, maybe 2013 or 14, like, we would, uh, I had a volcano. Do you know what oh, that yeah, is? The, Those yeah, vaporizers. vaporizers. It fills yeah. up this bag, and you take these big, deep hits off this THC vapor, and then as soon as you put the bag down, and we're like, okay, let's get going. Let's start the podcast, and be like, oh, my God, what have we done? <laughs> and it was this feeling every time we did the podcast was, oh, my God, what have we done? And you'd be in the middle of saying something, and as you're saying, you're like, what am I talking about? Yeah. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And then you would say, oh, no, 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 it's not that. Like, you would screw things up. You'd get scrambled in your head. When there's no pot at all, that never happens. Like, you, I mean, you might make mistakes, but you know what you're talking about while right. you're talking about it. Right. Like, when you're really, really high like that, there's a lot of times where you're talking about stuff where you literally don't know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that split personality thing we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Marijuana has so many pros, but it's got some cons, like everything in life, like like love and and good things and bad things and food and sleep. There's pros yeah. and cons, and then the, the cons become very evident when you're not doing it. You know, and I th I still think every time I do these sober October things, I always think, well, I'm gonna cut back. I'm gonna cut back on some weed, and I think I did last year. Like after October, I was like, I am not gonna do it as much as I used to do it. Do you drink? Yeah. A little bit like wine beer i love wine with meals yeah yeah if i have a, a nice meal i love a glass of red wine yeah i like a cold beer on a, a hot day love that dude yeah. yeah 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 i love that yeah i lived in you know i lived in spain 25 years or something and like over there wine is like water yeah you, know? you have wine with breakfast it's really oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's just part of life it's like olive oil it's on everything that's funny because i just saw a restaurant i was at a restaurant i was using the bath the bathroom and they had a sign up that said 
uh, a meal without wine is called breakfast. Hmm. So that's Italian. Yeah. In Spain, they're like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, not everyone's doing it, but workers, like you'll see workers in a bar, you know, they have their sandwiches and a glass of wine. Yeah. yeah some coffee with a little Bailey's in it. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it if you yeah. can handle it. Well, you know, when I got to Spain, I remember talking to people like, wow, like alcohol's everywhere. And it's not like liquor licenses here. Like every cafe serving wine and beer and whatever. You can you just know. sell it. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kids are there. And it's it's just, you know, it's not set aside. It's right. Not, um, and the Spanish guy said to me, you know, in Spain, we have many alcoholics, but no drunks. Hmm. And it's true. Like you don't see people puking in the street. You know, raging, huh. drunken lunatics like, you know, in the U.S. What about like sports events like soccer games? <sighs> they sell beer, full strength beer. Uh, I don't remember if they sell wine. Um, and yeah, I mean, Barcelona is a special place. I don't know what it's like in Madrid. I never went to a soccer game in Madrid. But Barcelona, the Catalans are sort of dry, very self-contained uh People, so you know, there's no raging, and uh, right now there's rioting going on, but that's a political thing. What are they rioting over? Uh, Catalan independence. Mm. Yeah. Didn't something happen today in Hong Kong? I don't know. Some, something. I've been out of the loop this today. Hong Kong. The Hong Kong protests have been going on for so long. Yeah. Now. Yeah. It's months and months and months. It's like intense. And Chile now too. In Santiago, Chile, people are rioting. Yeah, shit's getting interesting. It's heating up. Yeah, it's it's a strange time to be alive. It really is. Across the board. Yeah. I feel like we're at an inflection point. What's going on? Hong Kong frees murder suspect to whose case led to protests. Oh, interesting. Wow. So trying to <clears throat> trying to take the air out of it. Yeah. I feel you ever read Joseph Campbell? Yeah. Sure. So the the hero with a thousand mm-hmm. faces, his his observation that um Societies all over the world have basically the same origin myth, which is the Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. It's the person goes out and has all these challenges and faces their fears and learns all the stuff and then returns home with the knowledge that they've gained and they realize that what they were looking for all the time is actually home, right? right. I feel like as a species, we're at the point in that journey where we're turning toward home. That's my – that's sort of the un- overriding narrative of this book, that what we're – where we are now is we've learned enough that we can go back to or go toward uh, a way of living that replicates in important ways where we came from. So you're doing it. You're hunting. You're spending time in nature. You know, we're looking at different ways of raising kids. We're looking at – um, you know, paleo diet, uh, fasting, uh, controlling the frequency of the light that comes into our eyes at night. And there are all these, there's this awareness that the way forward requires an understanding of where we came from. So I kind of feel when I'm having a good day, I feel like we're at this point now, this crisis point where these institutions, central institutions of Western civilization are collapsing around us. You know, they're just government, Wall Street, religion, it's all just like being exposed as, um, you know, incompetent and useless in, in many cases. 
And but we've learned these really interesting things like birth control and and uh, passive energy and all you know different uh, ways of living on the earth without destroying it. And so the the sort of metaphor I use in the book is that we're going to live in zoos, right? But do we want to live in the Calcutta Zoo or the San Diego Zoo? And I I feel like you know what we're seeing now is we're clearly in a moment of of massive global change. And I hope that what the opportunity will uh, that's being presented is to redesign human existence in a way that's more in accordance with our nature. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's, I'm struggling to be optimistic. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm optimistic too. I just yeah. I always wonder if the numbers are just unmanageable. <clears throat> well, that's why I mentioned birth control. Yeah. Right. Like we know how to reduce global population, but people want babies. They, but why do they want babies? It, What's the incentive? For women, I think there's a biological need. There's a feeling that some, not all women, but many women have, yeah. where they have that biological clock. It's telling them to have a baby. When they have a baby, I mean, you've seen women that have children. It's, a, it's the most intense bonding, the most intense release of oxytocin, the most intense love and, and feeling of of connection with a, another living creature that I've ever experienced that I could ever explain to someone. And it's a natural part of being a human being. It also changes who you are as a person when you are responsible for these little people. And then you have love for these little people. Like Dave Chappelle said to me once something that really resonated. He said, not only has it changed how much I love, it changed my capacity for love. Mm. And uh, that that resonated. I was like, "That's what it is." Like, it changes how much you changed how I feel about other people. And you know, the the experience for a man is entirely different than it is for a woman because the woman literally creates the being in her body. Yeah. Right? A baby is growing inside a woman's body, and then she gives birth to it. With a man, he, he you do what you always do. You fuck her. You know, and but now you have a baby, and it's undeniable that you love the baby, you love your child, but you did not have the experience of having it grow inside your body, which I think is an, a connection that's no man is ever going to understand. Yeah, you're never going to. I don't think it's possible to understand what a woman experiences when she has yeah. a baby grow inside of her body. But then, what it changed for me, which was a big one was it made me look at people um, instead of looking at them like static beings. Mm, you see I, the whole thing. Yeah, I looked at them as like, oh, that was a baby. Yeah. Like Christopher Ryan used right. to be a baby. That was cute, too. Yeah, I bet you were adorable. Yeah. And now here you Little are, a grown-ass man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. this is uh, something that's missing in our experience when we don't, we're not there and we don't see that little person become a big person. Yeah. You know, that, that's, what, that's missing. I feel like I've gained, you know, this is part of what I was referring to earlier where I said, like, you know, we're learning to dance and the party's almost over. Mm -hmm. I, I feel I don't have kids. Um, I've been around kids. Um, but I, I feel like when I was in my 20s, let's say, I, I sort of worked this out recently in relationships that I think, I think there are three things. There's attraction, there's compatibility, and there's love. Mm. And I look at a lot of my relationships with women. They had two of those. Mm. Always love. 
Yeah. Uh, sometimes the, the sex was great, and sometimes the compatibility was great, and very rarely all three of those. But I used to think love was a really limited, scarce experience in life. And the older I get, the more I feel like, no, love is – I could love anybody. Mm. If I spent enough time with them and got to know them, I'd feel love for them. Right. You know, that's not hard to find. It's it seems it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, I thought it was really hard to find. Well, for some people, it is. You know, some people, it is. It's hard to find someone who loves them, and some people are burdened down. Like you're, you're very free in the sense that because you have this unusual way of making money, and you have uh, you don't have a lot of needs. You don't need a lot of material things. Some people are very burdened by these needs. You know, and they're not free and they're confined to a job and it's very difficult for them to meet anybody. Right. And then they're also stressed out all the time because of bills and horse shit and then work politics and work dynamics and dealing with the fucking environment of the office. Yeah. And you got a boss that's an asshole who's like, you know, you have board meetings and shit and everybody's got to sit there and get cancer while this asshole talks. (laughs) You know, I imagine sitting at a board table and some guys, what we got to do with this company? You know, That's right. well, you, the matrix. I, I need you to be here after work. I need you. You're here nine to five. I want to see real commitment. I yeah. want to, you know, when I'm, when I'm leaving at seven, yeah, when I'm leaving at seven, I want to see you still here working. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. No. Ah! And then it's hard to meet somebody. It's hard to find love. Yeah. I, okay. You're, certainly you're right about that. I, I didn't really mean in a dating sense so much as just like a compassion sense. Mm, okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. That everybody's lovable. Sure. You know, like one of the things that I love doing in my podcast is um, meeting somebody who's never told their story before and never even thought of their life in terms of a narrative. And in the course of the podcast – having them realize how fucking interesting they are Mm -hmm. and how interesting their life is. I've had people like break into tears and stuff, you know, because they've never thought like no one's ever asked. Right. right. You know, everybody's interesting. Everybody's got some kind of bizarre story to tell. Often they don't know it, you know, and I feel the same way. Like everybody's lovable. Every, I'm not talking about romantic love. I know what you're saying. I'm just like, yeah, and it, and it, you reminded me of when you're talking about seeing the full person's life. Sometimes I've looked at like women that I was with who were you know 35 years old, and I like see the old lady in them mm. and be moved yeah. by that. You know, like you're going to be a beautiful old lady. I'll be dead. Oh, I'll you're be a gone. weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I see that, and I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here before she becomes an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see menopause coming. Get me out of here. I don't want anybody angry at me for shit I didn't even do. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And I mean, everybody's lovable to somebody, right? I mean, unless you're a fucking psychopath. I had a, I had another thing I, I put on my list here I wanted to mention, almost as a public service, sleep apnea. Mm. I have sleep apnea. And I, have, do you know about this? You, yeah. Do you snore? I have a mouthpiece. Uh, you have, you have the, the CPAP machine? No, no. Oh, you a, do a the jaw thing. thing. No, no, no. It's different. It, it uh, holds my tongue down. It keeps right. my tongue from sliding back. It right. made a world of difference changed everything dude that's that's why i wanted to mention it like anybody who's got like i i was not breathing for 20 seconds at a time Mm. and uh yeah this this woman i was sleeping with like actually counted you know and she's like dude like you're 
choking, you're suffocating. Yeah. So I went and got a, a test. It's super easy. You take it home and hook this thing in your finger and all that. And they told me, I think it was like 25 episodes per hour is considered severe. I had 74. Every minute I was suffocating to the point where I sort of woke up and like my throat tissue, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, muscles contract so you can breathe again. So you're like always at the surface. I got one of those machines, dude. I'm like sleeping again. I'm dreaming. It's fantastic. Now, do you have a hard time put that, putting that thing in your mouth? And, no, it's, no, it's no problem. It's like, it's like uh, scuba diving. You got a regulator, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, the one I you have the full face one that goes over your nose and your mouth if you tend to breathe through your mouth, or they have them that just go over your nose. Which one do you have? I have both. I started because I used a nose one, and then I I was breathing through my mouth, and that's all weird. So then I got the big one, but after a month with that, now I just use the nose one. Now that pumps air, right? What it does is it creates uh, air pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just very slow. Well, it's adjustable. It adjusts based on your reaction to it. And so when you are uh, when you're breathing, the air pressure keeps the passages open. So it can be anatomical. It can be your tongue falling back. It can, I have that's like, what it is for me. Yeah. yeah. So it keeps the the passage open. It's just the slight pressure, and it's really nice because you take a. It's like you take a deep breath, and it fills your lungs because there's just that little extra push, mm-hmm. and uh, it's totally quiet. Like there's all this stigma around it. Like people think it's really like gross or loud or whatever. It's not the mach- the new machines are great and they have a humidifier in them so you can adjust the Do you how do you power it up when you're camping and stuff? Um well, I've got uh electrical system in the van and I also have a backup battery, a little lithium battery. That's all you need? Yeah. You know, power the whole night like that? Yeah, if you don't use the humidifier. If you use the humidifier it sucks up more cuz it's it's a heating mm-hmm. thing right, element. Right. Does the yeah. humidifier help? Yeah, it's great because you can adjust it. You know, like here in L.A., we're in a desert. Mm-hmm. It's dry. So you can turn it up. If you're, you know, I was in Seattle, I turn it off. doesn't matter. So it's just changed the way you you feel? I, I feel so much better. I'm like wow. sleeping through the night. I dream again. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I feel kind of evangelical about it because, you know, I know a lot of people have this, men and women. And there's this weird kind of shame around it, and I'm just trying to be like, Yeah, it's hey, a weird thing to be shameful of. Yeah, right? fuck it, man. Sleep. You got to yeah. sleep. It's really important. It makes everything better. You're like 50% more likely to have car accidents if you have sleep. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? It'll fuck up your job. It'll fuck, You won't get hard-ons. It'll like ruin everything. Some people, it's really bad, too, and they, it goes on for years and years and years, and they don't even know about it. I was on a plane once, and there was a guy behind me, and I would hear... <laughs> Yeah. And I, I turned around and I was like, oh, this poor bastard. He was a big guy, like very overweight. And I mean, I was watching this guy lying there with his mouth open like this. Suffocating. For a long time. Yeah. And then finally he would jostle and catch some air. And uh, he woke up and I said, hey, man. And I said, do you know you have sleep apnea? He's like, what do you mean? And I said, okay. I mean, let me tell you what's going on. And I showed him my mouthpiece. I go, mm. like, I have this thing that I have to sleep with because it was a long flight we we're on. And uh, I said, you got to go to a doctor, get that checked out. And he goes, oh, okay, thanks. I go, no, 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 
really yeah you got to go to a doctor i go this is gonna it'll change your life man. heart disease yeah. uh, like a lot of bad shit can happen it also from... affects people's dietary choices because when you're exhausted like that i know how i am like last night i was tired i came home from the improv it was like one o'clock in the morning i should not have eaten but i was like fuck it and i made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at 1 a.m <laughs> <laughs> i definitely shouldn't have had that where's and the alchemy and jalapenos man well I just felt like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, got to do it's it. It's a bad choice. But <laughs> when you're tired, you make bad choices. Right. You make bad dietary choices. It's uh, very, very common. Yeah. When people are exhausted and overworked. And I think that has to apply to people with sleep apnea. Yeah. Where you're, you're always exhausted. Like throughout the day, you're just sucking down coffee and trying to stay awake. Yeah. Yeah, you dry. my my dad had it for sure, mm-hmm. and he never had it treated, and and yeah, maybe that's another reason that I'm sort of evangelical about it because it's like it's so easy. So many of the things that mess up our lives are really hard to address, like the you know the litany of things you were talking about, board mm-hmm. meetings and all yeah. that. But yeah. you know, if you can get a good night's sleep for you know a visit to a, a doctor and in, i mean this thing cost 800 bucks for this machine i have yeah it changes your whole life your whole life solves the problem yeah you know like that's pretty cool it's pretty fucking cool some people have a problem with those cpap machines but maybe it's just um the kind they use joey diaz changed his life mm. he started using that thing he brings it he's got a portable unit he brings them on planes yeah brings it everywhere yeah yeah, it's great. I mean, I wish every problem were that easy to solve. Mm. Yeah, right? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. What else you got there? On my I list? a bunch of notes. Uh, Anthropo- oh, the, the Motherfucker Awards. I, What's that? Do you know about that? So my buddy oh, Kyle right. and yeah. I did it last year. We had a, So the idea is we're, we were hiking one day in Topanga, and we are talking about how he's an environmental activist uh, as well as a big wave surfer. Kyle Tierman show. He's a podcast as well. Um, everybody has a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast. Uh, he's a really good guy. He's he's like one of these. He's, I think he's twenty eight. He's like super earnest, and he's the kind of guy like you're having a conversation and you mention a book, and a week later he's like, "Hey, I read that book you mentioned. It's really good." It's like, oh, all right, all, all young people should be like you, you know? He's, yeah. He's really like Tuned smart. In. Um, yeah, and serious about stuff. Anyway, we we're talking about how hard it is to get people to pay attention to environmental issues because it's such a downer, you know. And I, I was like, man, I know all these comedians. It would be cool if we could find a way to get comedy into the environmental thing. And we came up with this idea where we flip everything upside down and we say we have an award ceremony to honor the companies that are doing the most to fuck Mother Earth. And the awards are accepted on behalf of the companies by comedians. So we did it last year, and it was fucking wild. It was so great. So the presenters were people like Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone and the guy who was the founder of Greenpeace and you know different environmental people and sort of political people. And... Uh, accepting on behalf of these people like Leo Flowers, if you know him, Jake Johansson, sure. Moshe Kasher and Natasha sure. Legero did this incredible bit where they <laughs> they were uh, incestuous brother sister couple. Yeah, they are. yeah. Uh, I think they awesome. represented uh, Chase Bank. Um, yeah, and Brendan Walsh. He's yeah. fantastic. He looks like Dennis Miller there. Hey, he does. Yeah. <laughs> So it was great. I mean, we wore tuxedos and, and we did this whole Where'd thing. Where'd you do it at? 
at a a theater in the Miracle uh, Theater Inglewood. in Inglewood. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it was great, and it was it's funded by uh, various people, but the Nell Newman Foundation, uh, Paul Newman's daughter. Oh, cool. She's a big uh, supporter. When are you doing it again? December third. Ah, cool. Yeah, it's great. Same place. Same place. If you're free, come accept an award. Yeah, let me find out. I, yeah. I think I'm out of town. Yeah, that's the thing. We're, we're lining up like um, uh, mm. Brian Callen. Oh, uh, beautiful. Yeah, he's, he wants to do it, but it depends. Lots we're of people. We're working together tonight. Oh, good. We worked Give together last night. I had dinner with him a week ago. Yeah, we did two shows last night. And we're doing two shows tonight. He's, I like that guy a lot. I love him to death. He's one yeah. of my favorite people. Yeah. And he's, he's also real down to earth. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's a real dude. Super. He's, people often ask me, like, I guess I'm like a conduit to people like you and Brian. And it's like, what are they like in real life? They're, they're like they seem to be. You know? I don't think you could do as many podcasts as he does <clears throat> or as many as I do and be somebody else. Right. I don't think. It's too much work holding up the facade. I don't think it would work. Yeah. I don't think you could hold up a facade that, that long. Yeah. I don't. I mean, again, everybody varies. You vary who you are dependent upon the day and the stresses and the influences right. in life. But I don't know anybody who's full of shit. Like, I don't know anybody who's doing a podcast who's got, like, a totally different persona. Right. I bet a lot of those self-help fellas probably, they're rocking that. Yeah. That's a, that's a full of shit industry. Yeah. You know? It's, like, it's one of those, it's like, there's people that are real self-help people that are doing real work, and they're really, they really are committed to it, and they love it. And they really love helping people. And then there's other people that find that as like a niche. It's a way to get in. It's a, a little greased path. Yeah. It helps you like yeah. slip on in. Yeah. 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 And it's sometimes it's hard to tell who's who in that world. Yeah. You know? That's a weird world. It's one of the weirdest worlds. The world of constant motivation where you're constantly motivating people and, yeah. and trying to find some new way to say things you've already said a thousand times. And what's it all boil down to? Uh-huh. You know, it all boils down to the same simple shit again and again. It does. Experience over possessions, mm-hmm. forgive yourself and others, love yeah. yourself and others. But sometimes they can say something that resonates. Some, t- some people can say something that resonates. But those people have to, they have to be, there's to be something unique about them, like their life experiences. They have to have accomplished something. They have to, there's, they have to be, there has to be some actual meat behind their words. Mm. And there's a lot of people that are doing it that are just doing it. They're, they're not really doing anything else. Yeah. They just do that. That's very strange. It's very strange because they've tapped into this need and this feeling that people have where they need to be motivated. And they need, you know, they need someone to say positive spiritual things that resonate with them. So these people have sort of found that as a way to become popular or famous or insta-famous or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's like... Buying a, a membership to a gym and then never going, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or what I, I do sometimes, like I, I love to buy camping gear. Do you? I don't really camp very much though, no, like, but I love camping gear, like, man. <laughs> like high quality tents and oh, backpacks. Yeah. I and go to REI. Boots. I have grand plans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need stakes. I need those little fucking aluminum stakes to get the <laughs> yeah. tents into the dirt. Oh, dude. Clink, I, clink, clink. I, yeah. I, the, the, yeah. The spiral ones. Oh, yeah. They're really good those in sand good. as well. Yes, I got yes, them. Yes. I got a special hammer mm. to put them in, and then it's got holes that you like hook and pull them oh, out. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I've used it maybe twice in five years. If you're lucky. Yeah, yeah I bought one of them um, fucking, what are those things called? Those little stoves, the little propane stoves, like uh, yeah. little thing yeah. that sits on top of it. Never used it. Yeah. Just sitting in my, I was like, I'm going to use this on our next trip. But well, when, you know, when civilization collapses, you got that in the garage. That's When really civilization important. collapses, you really want flint and steel. And you you want some tinder. I mean, you can't count on any of that shit because you don't know how to make a lighter. So you can't count on lighters. You got to be able to make a fire without a lighter. Also, when civilization ends, you're not going to want to live. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just too hard. There's no way to really prepare for it. No, it's too hard. Yeah. You know, to, to live. I mean, I guess if that's all you've ever known, if all you've ever known was living in an incredibly primitive way. And hunting and gathering, you'd be fine with it. Well, hunting and gathering is easy for hunter-gatherers. If you live in a fertile place. Even if you don't. In the Kalahari Desert, the Kung San people work roughly 20 hours a week. And what we're calling work is hunting and gathering. What are they hunting? I guess there are some sorts of antelope, um, rabbits, rats. Desert rat? I don't know. I haven't spent Dude, much time in the Kalahari speaking Desert. Speaking of rats, Uh-oh. there's a fucking crazy article about these monkeys that are eating rats. Macaque, macaque, how do you say it? Macaque monkeys. They're, look macaque, at this. Yeah. Macaque. Killer rat eating monkey stuns scientist <laughs> in Malaysia. I, I, I saw that uh, yesterday and I was going to tweet uh, it, but I was like, all right, I've tweeted too many fucking crazy things today. <laughs> Whenever I read something really bonkers and I, I yeah. tweet it, but that one, I'm like, I'm saving this one for tomorrow. But look at the size of that goddamn rat. And these monkeys are ferocious predators. And they thought of these monkeys as being primarily fruit eaters. But no, they, they really favor eating rats. And it's holding this goddamn rat down. And eating it head first. It's a hell of an image. Fucking A, right? Yeah. Well, you a ever been to- or something. Yes. Like a, a like a sandwich. Yeah. Yes. It's like he's eating a hoagie. Yeah, like a foot long, <laughs> long rat. Fucking A, man. Look at his, like the distant look in his eyes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Just eating a rat head. Yeah. You ever been in a place with uh, wild monkeys? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Costa Rica. Uh, it, it was weird. We were worried. Do about, they come right up oh, to yeah. the? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We were staying at this resort, and uh, we we one of my kids wanted to feed the monkey an Oreo, and my wife was like, "Oh, we probably shouldn't. It's not good for him." And then I said, "Let's give him one fucking Oreo. Who cares? I bet he's already had an Oreo before." I forget what the conversation was. Anyway, the monkey takes the Oreo opens it and eats the white frosting. I was no like, shit. that little motherfucker's He's eating a lot yeah. of Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> he knew exactly what to do. Yeah. He turned it, just like everybody does, and starts scraping off the frosting and looking right at you. Mm. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was different kinds of monkeys, too. There was uh, howler monkeys, oh, yeah. and then there was, other, there was big monkeys and little monkeys. That's a crazy place. Costa Rica's wild, man. Mm. Crocodiles and shit. That was another interesting place I visited. The crocodiles are a trip, man, because we were in a boat and we went on this um, like sort of tour of this river system. And you go on a tour of the river system and I'm watching this fucking 15-foot crocodile slide into the water from the bank. I'm like, fuck. And you see the crocodile slides all over the banks because these, these rivers are just filled with crocodiles. And so anytime my kid would come anywhere close to the railing of the boat, I'm like, hey, 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 mm-hmm. let's stay over here. Let's stay in the middle. Yeah. Let's fuck away from the monsters. 
I, I met this dude long time ago. I don't remember where he was, but we were sitting around a fire talking about like bizarre experiences we'd had traveling, whatever. He was from, I think, New Hampshire. And he had a thing like you and, and Marshall go running every morning. He had a thing where he and his dog would go down to the lake and take a swim every every day at dusk. When he got home from work, he'd take the dog for a swim. It was a black lab, I think. And um, And he went to visit his brother in Florida. Mm. And he drove down there, and his brother was out And when he arrived, and it was around dusk, and he's like, ah, let's go for a swim. There's a lake, and he jumps in the water with his dog, and they're swimming across the lake, and he hear, and it's quiet, right? And he hears this plop, plop, and he's like, well, what was that? That's a weird sound. And then he realizes, I'm in fucking Florida. I'm not in New Hampshire. There are alligators here. What the fuck am I doing? So he turns around and starts swimming back, and he's swimming along, trying not to panic. And the fucking dog goes, arr, arr, arr. dog's gone. Shh. Fucking alligator came, or a croc came up and took his dog. Never saw the dog again. What? That could have been him, too. Yeah. One of my favorite alligator yeah. stories from Florida is there was a high-speed chase. Guy had a stolen car, and uh, he gets to a bridge. The cops are chasing him. Guy jumps out of the car, jumps off the bridge, gets eaten immediately by an alligator. <laughs> Literally landed in front of the alligator. <laughs> and the alligator like, just lucky ah, day. Snap. They <laughs> don't eat you, people that often, but they definitely will. Yeah, like, in it's Africa not like, they do. Well, the crocodiles. Crocs, yeah. Alligators are less aggressive than crocodiles, and there are crocodiles in Florida, but they're much less frequent. What's the difference? Um, American alligator is a smaller animal. Um, they have uh, a, a longer, pointier snout, and they have more exposed teeth. Uh. Uh, an alligator has a blunt, more rounded face, and they uh, they get much larger than American crocodiles. Uh. American crocodiles are pretty small. American alligators get pretty fucking big. So in Africa, do they have crocs and alligators? No, Africa is just crocodiles. Just crocs. They have okay. much, much, much more huge. aggressive crocodiles yeah. too. They have Nile crocodiles. Right. You those, see them take those water buffalo yeah, and stuff. Terrifying yeah. saltwater crocodiles. I thought I'd seen video of what you said, so I googled it four different times at least in the last couple of years. This has happened. One guy lost his arm. Two people died. <laughs> The Florida thing? Getting chased by the cops and ended up getting eaten by an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just that's, one time. It's but that's fucking Florida, man. Florida, man. Florida is so wacky. Yeah. That is the place where all the refugees and the outcasts, they all go to Florida, man. Yeah. Yeah, more than once. I'm sure. It makes sense. When you jump in the water, man, you're, you're risking it. Like, they don't. Just because alligators don't eat people as often as crocodiles do in Africa, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't. They don't have a rule book. Right. Like, oh, that's a person, shouldn't right. eat them. They don't give a fuck if you're a dog or a person or a kid. Yeah. There was a, a an alligator ate a baby at Disney World. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, a fucking two-year-old baby playing by the water. The alligator just be. slides up on the bank, snatch, pulls it right under. Oh, man. Fuck! That's Fuck a bad day. Yeah. When I lived in Florida, when uh, I was a kid, huh. uh, we lived in Gainesville, and there was alligators everywhere. And yeah. I remember one of them snatched some lady's dog, and I was like, Jesus Christ! I didn't know they kill people's dogs. Yeah. Because you would see them floating around, and they seem so innocuous because they 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 were almost always still. Yeah. They very rarely moved, 
But there were signs. They didn't want you to feed them marshmallows. People would throw marshmallows, and the alligators would eat marshmallows. Uh, and they just don't want you they don't to because they float well. the marshmallows yeah. float, I guess. Yeah. And they yeah. would just chew them up and swallow them. So yeah. people would throw marshmallows at the alligators just to see it. And that was back when alligators were endangered. This was in the late 70s. And they're not endangered anymore. In fact, they you could kill as many of like you can get a commercial hunting tag for 500 alligators. Mm. I watched that on that uh Swamp People show. <laughs> <laughs> never seen it there's a show about alligator killers yeah, they're just killing alligators because you know a the, commercial market. the last indians to be pacified i hate that phrase the, mm. in the united states the last tribe to finally give up was the uh, seminole in the oh, everglades yeah like la- after the apaches and the sioux and mm-hmm. all that yeah because man the Everglades. Yeah, they that take would pride be a weird life yeah Fuck. to live in the everglades well the everglades are uh, another thing that human beings ruined because of white trash people in Florida because hmm. releasing pythons, there's oh. literally nothing left alive in the Everglades. All the deer are missing. All the raccoons are missing. All, all, the, all the marsh hares, gone. Yeah. Everything's missing. Like These scientists and biologists have done these uh, surveys of wildlife and the difference between like 1980 and 2019 is so unbelievably stark. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's all yeah. those fucking dorks that want to keep pets. And then they release them. They release them out there in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Pythons. But it's not just the Everglades, right? It's I read recently like uh, 30% of all the birds in North America are gone. Well, that's in, in the a last lot of that's house 40 cats. years. A lot of that's house cats. Yeah. Have you ever seen the numbers? Of yeah. How many house cats, how yeah. many birds house cats kill? Billions, yeah, yeah. billions in just in United States. But they're cute, adorable. <laughs> Fucking billions, though. Killers. Billions yeah. of birds. Yeah. Like you see, like scientists were baffled when they did the actual survey and they found the the real numbers. They're like, this can't be real. This can't be right. Billions. You have a cat, right? Yeah, two cats. Oh, you had a whole bit in your stand-up yeah, about yeah. a cat. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I like cats. I love cats. Yeah. They're they're interesting creatures. I I had three of them in Spain. It was fun. I they they had their own little world. You know. Oh yeah. Three of them did what they wanted to do. The only bummer is litter boxes. Yeah, so I had them outside. Got to have them outside the house. In my neighborhood, you cannot. Yeah. Coyotes. Yeah, no coyotes owls. in Barcelona. Owls and coyotes. Yeah. Those owls are a motherfucker. They'll snatch them up just as quick as anything. Yeah. We have big owls out here. So if you were going to die from an animal attack, what animal would you uh, like to die from? You'd like a big cat because they would kill you before they'd eat you. Uh, you know? Yeah. A bear would just eat you. Yeah. Black bear will eat you. Grizzly bears Grizzly sometimes- bears eat you too. Well, they'll fuck you up. And Anyway, this is what I was told when I was in Alaska, that you play dead with a grizzly but never with a black. Well, because hmm. some grizzlies, the th- if they think you're dead, they'll kick some dust on you and come back a week later when you're, you when you're fermented. Rotten. They're like French people. They want they want it to stink, <laughs> you know. Like old cheese. <laughs> That's not totally true. It depends on how hungry they are and whether or not they're old. But you are more likely to be attacked by a black bear for predation. Right. A friend of mine was attacked recently. Really? Yeah. He had a he had a shoot a black bear. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, he was. Uh, he tried to chase it off, and um, he stumbled upon. There was a smell. He was, he's a rancher. He stumbled upon this smell, and the smell was a uh, a dead cow. And this black bear had been eating this dead cow, and he tried to chase the black bear off. And the black bear decided to try to go after him, and uh, had to wind up shooting it. He had a rifle or a pistol. Or I think it was a pistol, wow. but it was. It wouldn't stop. It wouldn't leave him alone. He's trying to say, hey, get the fuck out of here. Go, go. Mm-hmm. Throwing, waving his arms. Yeah. And it woofed at him. Then it turned around and came at him from another direction. And then it literally ran up within like 20 feet of him. Mm. He's like, okay, we're done here. That happened to me with a monkey once. Really? Yeah. Did yeah. you shoot the monkey? I didn't. No. Did you feed him a rat? I. This was in Malaysia. I was in a botanical gardens in Penang, Malaysia. Uh, I actually told this book, this story at the beginning of Sex at Dawn. I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, and like your situation in Costa Rica, she wanted to give some peanuts to these monkeys. These guys at the entrance were selling little bags of peanuts. And uh, so she, there was this baby monkey hanging by his tail over the trail where we were, and she pulled out this bag of peanuts and like, you know, opened it. And that attracted all this attention from other monkeys. And while she was handing a peanut to the baby, this other monkey jumped out from the bushes, leapt on her, took the bag of peanuts, and was gone, like in a flash. It was so, happened so fast. She's screaming. I'm like, what the fuck? It was just like, holy shit. And we're surrounded by these monkeys. They're everywhere. Mm. And that's when we realized like all the local people had these big sticks. And we thought they were walking sticks or something. They would like to keep the monkeys away. I didn't have a stick. So I got like... Protective? I was triggered. Yeah. Man. I got like, fuck you, monkeys. <laughs> you know? Like, you're not, you leave my girl alone. He said that like Joe Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I was not into it. Right. And uh, yeah, I felt like, you know, all this testosterone mm, yeah. and adrenaline. And I yeah. was like, yeah. and uh, Hulk smash. Yeah. So we, we, you know, 20 minutes later, we're in this sort of field. And uh, there's a tree in the middle of the field, and there are more baby monkeys. And by now, she's totally forgotten about it. She's just like, oh, they're cute. So I have the peanuts now, and she wants to give more peanuts. So I pull out a bag to give to her, and this monkey comes out of the woods, sort of a big one. And he's, like, looking at me. And I'm just like, fuck you, dude. Like, I'm three times your size. Fuck you. And he sort of, like, moves, you know, sort of does this thing. And... He's looking at me, and there's a branch, and I picked up the branch and threw it at him, right? Kind of like what your buddy was trying to do with his bear. Like, hey, get the fuck out of here, you know? And this monkey just looked at the branch land in front of him and looked up at me, and he was like, you fucked up. And he leapt over it and came charging at me with, like, these fangs, just coming straight at me. I went nuts. I turned into a monkey. I just started going, and I was like jumping up and down and spraying spit everywhere. And he stopped and we're like, "Ah!" and he's, and my girlfriend's screaming and we're like 10 feet away. And then he just like backed up like, yeah, fuck you. And left. Primal moment. Whoa. Very primal moment. And you didn't plan that? No. No. If I'd had a stick, it wouldn't have been necessary. Oof. So the moral of the story is carry, Always a, stick carry a stick when you're on monkeys. Walk softly. Yeah. Carry a big stick. Dude, I got to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, Let's go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I got shit to do. Oh, no. Civilized to death. <laughs> <laughs>
The Price of Progress, Christopher Ryan, Tangentially Speaking, and what's the other one? Been talking about it forever. The first book, Sex at Dawn. No, no, no. What do you call your your podcast from the van? It's still just Tangentially Speaking? It's still Tangentially Speaking. It's just hashtag Vanthropology Ah, on social media. Always good to see you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Bye, everybody.